are now listening to Triples in Ecstasy, a production of Holosuite Media. Tune in to our live show every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is Admiral James T. Kirk of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Your presence here is an act of war. You have two minutes to surrender your crew and your vessel, or we will destroy you. Admiral Kirk, this is your opponent speaking. Do not lecture me on treaty violations as this broadcast is intended for mature audiences. In the following podcast, there will be thoughts and opinions expressed that in no way reflect your federation, this station, website, or affiliated partners. Who is this? How dare you? Who I am is not important. Listen to discretion. Yes. You cling on, bastard. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Trips. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new content and new stuff, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to episode 257 of Tribbles and Ecstasy. I'm your host, Midnight Shadow, and joining me in the studio today, we have got... I still don't understand how people are confusing all of these things and what ships look like and what powers do what. How in the... I mean, it's well documented if you read the... Oh, people don't read the blogs. Hi, everybody. It's Sun. Dogs can't read, and we only see in black and white. And sometimes we don't even numbers. Hey, I'm Stu Dog. Well, all I know is that our viewers are definitely going to want to tune in towards the end, since we did switch a few things around. We really go into in-depth what we're seeing on Tribble, so we can understand all that gibberish that Sun is confused about. Hey, Timberwolf here. He's sitting there surrounded by calculators and abacuses and bottles of Romulan ale. You know, and I've already got at least one Pug Run ISA in my parser right now that I just went out of, and the numbers are interesting. Interesting as in higher than they would have been, or interesting as in... (sighs) Well, I'll get into it later, but quite honestly, what I'm theorycrafting and everything over here, I, I shouldn't see too much of a loss from what I'm averaging. I mean, everybody's gonna see a loss, but with this, with what I'm doing now, at the very least, you'll still be able to go well over 100k damage output. And I think that's, you know, that's more than enough for any of the content in the game. So you should still be able to do it, you know, get over 100k. And I'm just, you know, spitballing with what I'm building here. Um, but the changes are definitely indicating that if they stay this way you're not going to see ridiculous high-end damage numbers. You're not going to see people doing two, three, four hundred 400k in a run and, you know, certain abilities doing 
80k by themselves or things like that. But you'll still be able to do enough damage to blow through content with ease. Well, on the topic of changes, the show will be going through some changes as of next week. And it's not just daylight savings, which for anyone who's been joining us live has, well, it screwed me up today because unlike America, here in Europe, we haven't actually done daylight savings yet. So. Oh, see, that's not even the worst part. That's not even the worst part. We did it two weeks early. You guys are doing it a week early, and then Australia does it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, confused some people in chat when I said, um, what was it? Um, we're live only 40 minutes late, or for us, not in the US, 20 minutes early. <laughs> Pretty much. Had, had Captain Bill Morgan going, wait, what? Temporal <laughs> uh, shenanigans! But as of next week, we're going to move our live broadcast from Fridays to Saturdays. So we'll be going live at a new time as well. So it'll be 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern, and 11 o'clock for UK. Um, except for next week, where it'll be 10 o'clock for the UK, because we still won't be in daylight savings until the next day. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of, yeah, that's that's right, Captain Captain Bill. We we <laughs> start taking your aspirins because it's gonna be a headache. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, with work commitments for all of us, hopefully, um, more of us can be able to attend the show um, than we've been having in recent weeks and it'll also give me more of a chance to actually get all the show notes finished off and things rather than rushing home from work and trying to sort everything tidying up my mess yes <laughs> surrounded by ripped up bits of paper and sitting there with a smile on my face going did i do a good job and you're like no slap so um so yeah we're changing our days to saturdays so, um, so yeah, that's 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern, and 11 o'clock UK, unless it's next week, which will be the 25th, um, where it will be a 10 o'clock um, GMT start. And for people like Alex, who joins us, um, who's an hour ahead of us in the UK, um, that'll be an 11 o'clock start your time. So, all right, so now that announcement has been done, let's get into Star Trek news. Star Trek news. So, Free Comic Book Day is on the 6th of May 2017. And the Pop Culture Network interviewed writers Scott Tipton and David Tipton and spoke about Star Trek The Next Generation Broken Mirror, a comic based on the episode from the original series Mirror Mirror. And this is going to be the next generation sort of version of it with evil characters. So we've got evil, muscly Picard, 
Borg Data and Captain's Woman Troy. So in the interview, they go into details about how they quite enjoyed creating the the mirror characters because they didn't really have any sort of references to go into because in the next generation we never saw a mirror crew they said that they especially enjoyed creating the character of mirror barkley which well to imagine a mirror barkley a mirror version of a a not very confident stuttering fool so um I guess so essentially, it would be it would be the hologram Barkley that was the life of the party until he stabs people in the yes, back. yes, yeah, yeah. But wouldn't like be an evil genius. Yeah, but wouldn't Mirror Barkley have actually been killed? No, <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> no, no, he wouldn't because he would literally be the life of the party. No one would dislike him, and then he would suddenly stab people in the back, just like the Voyager episode. Yeah, he'd probably be one of these sort of a nice, charismatic man. But uh, what's that Ferengi rule of acquisition that says the bigger the smile, the sharper the knife? He'd probably ruthlessly kill anyone that he didn't really like. That was the whole point of the episode. The Ferengi were trying to steal Seven's body. Sure, they would get Voyager back home, but none of the crew would survive except all the Borg tech. And the only one who who could actually point the stuff out was the doctor, because I've read the medical history on Barkley. This is not Barkley. So during the interview, they also go into why are comic book shops important in communities? And David Tipton says that the comic book shops can sometimes be like communities themselves, where people go to make connections with other people to learn about new books and have a read through what's in the local shops by while speaking to the other people that are there as well. Scott Tipton says that comic book shops are the direct line from writer to reader. So that's how they're able to get a lot of their sort of feedback and ideas back from their readers through the guys who are working in the shops well, I'm Pretty not going to back to the company. I'm not going to use this this term unironically or mean spirited or any kind of anything right now. But these comic book shops have been this kind of safe space for nerd culture for generations. I mean, it seems like generations because you have these people who go to these locations, and these locations aren't just. For comic books, they're gaming places, they're they're more than just these visual graphic-y type of novels. And they they were this shelter for all of these people who needed that escapism growing up. So having having these having less and less of these shops is kind of a nightmare for some people. Like I just had to look up where my nearest participant in 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 free comic book day is it's almost 40 miles away oh boy that's that's a fair hike away like i don't think there's any actually i think there's just one comic book shop in dundee and there's a couple up in aberdeen but they're they're few and far between over here in the uk anyway comic book shops that still exist tend to exist surely out of the love of being a comic book store not because they are 
a continuing for-profit venture for somebody who wants to make a business because you wind up you wind up putting your 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 heart your soul and a whole bunch of your own money into owning a comic book store yeah and i can i mean hell comic book stores in general just having comic books only in a store i can think of maybe one in the entire city where i live that might still be around the rest of them have kind of converted into everything nerd store so it's not just comic books but it's also video games and yeah toys little pop and, toys and, and books well. and everything else um one of the stores that comes to mind is second and charles and they do trade-ins for old gears so, i mean you can go in there and find a used atari that still works if you wanted it uh comic books board games regular books dvds video games like all of it but it has its own comic book section and it's you know a nice size but very very rarely nowadays do you find a comic book store most of the time it's just shoved into a regular bookstore now um with me go on finish up no that's just that's that's all i've i've seen recently it used to be when i was a kid you could find comic books a few comic book shops in the area and i think just the appeal of going in i guess that the best reference is big bang theory going into a shop that's nothing but comic books and thumbing through them and finding the new editions or the old ones that you're missing, I'm guessing that's kind of lost with all the online shopping tools of finding the new ones or the older ones now. For me, I've never actually been in a comic book shop um, at all. Um, when I did look once to see if there's anything around where I live, um, I actually live... Um, Basically, if you imagine a triangle with three cities, you've got Ipswich, Colchester, and Bury St. Edmunds. So big towns slash cities. And in each of them, there is one comic book store, from what I can tell. So it doesn't seem to be that much around um, where I am. And as I said, these are three sort of quite big places in sort of, and we're only a couple of hours away from London. But, uh, yeah, you don't tend to see much of them around these days. Um, at one point when I do things that, for me, I'm one of these people who I do everything online. I, even my local town, I just don't go in there. So the only reason I ever went into town over the last probably, I don't know, five years was generally to go to the doctors, opticians, and hairdressers. And that was it. Well, the doctors has now moved out of the town centre, so don't go in for that. Hairdressers retired, and he now just actually comes to my house and does it, but don't go into town for that. So (laughs) I literally don't go into town now at all. So I can see why there aren't, because there's a lot of people like me who just do everything online. And as Sybil has said in chat, there is um, comicsology.com, which I have actually used to get my free comic book on free comic book day. Um, the problem is, is I still haven't finished reading it. Um, I forgot. I got too hooked, in, hooked, too hooked into um, some of the other Star Trek novels that I was reading. But um, one of the things that I have started reading is the graphic novels. Um, which I've started getting. Yes, I have six of those still sealed that I need to open up. 
Yeah, well, I, I got um, two more volumes in the post um, the other day. Um, yeah, yeah. But for some reason, I've got volume six and seven, and it's just like, okay, well, where's two, three, four, five? <laughs> All right, because they, they sort of like rush sent me uh, the first ones, but there was a little note saying that you might receive them out of order, just dependent on their printing process. So I would expect the previous ones to come quite quick, smartish, like. Yeah, well, I'm gonna contact um, um, was it Eagle Moss and just check. It's just like, um, excuse me, <laughs> why am I missing numbers? <laughs> Did they send you a little badge as well? Yeah, I got the little lapel badge. Yeah. Yeah. So the the little lapel badge is like the first delivery, and then the posters are the second delivery. So you'll get. You'll get the first, like, two and three soon with the posters, hopefully. Yeah, that'll be next month's one, because the way Egomoss do is they send you two of the novels at once to save on the packaging. Um, so you get sent a month's worth at one time, um, yeah. if I recall correctly. So if that's the case, then I'll get it next month. But yeah, I just want to double-check they're not going to start sending the rest of them and just it was accidentally sent. So so, so wait, what's the, what's the... For those of us who were trying to find it, what's the name of this website that does the the sending you the free comic books from Free Comic Book Day? Um, it's um, comicsology dot com. So that is c o m i x o l o g y dot com. Neat. We'll um, add it uh, to the show notes. Yeah, because um, I actually got that website first of all from. Um, the Dream Peak Show. Um, listening to them, they reminded everybody that um, it was Free Comic Book Day probably about two or three years ago. And they then sort of um, said about this website and there's apps so you can get your free comic book, you create an account, and basically you can download it to your phone or your tablet or your laptop so it doesn't matter where you are, you've got your device, you can read your comic books. And it's got really good stuff where you can zoom in and things like that to each of the little bits. And um, yeah, I actually thought yeah, it was quite good. You guys, you, you, you don't understand how much detail goes into comic books, like mm. just, just art in general. People, especially digital artists, now that a whole bunch of stuff is moving to, to digital platforms – Digital artists use huge canvases that they shrink down, so there are itty-bitty little details that you may never even notice are there simply because you can't see, you know, you can't expand the artwork large enough to see that detail. Or it's or because it's been shrunken, the the resolution just isn't there to see those little things. Uh, Sybil says that the reader app for... Comicsology is the best comic reader they've ever used. Um, and if you are interested in comic books, um, Nick from the GNT show, he's got his own little um, side podcast called The Gettysburg Address. Um, they've just released episode five where he actually talks to Kelly Thompson, who actually does um, some Marvel comic books. So that's worth a listen if you're interested in comic books. 
So, because um, she does um, Hawkeye and things like that. So, yeah, if comic books are what you're interested in, and especially Marvel, then, yeah, we'll have the link to episode five um, in our show notes. But if you head over to gbaddress.com, and, yeah, it's just episode five with Kelly Thompson, and uh, um, you can have a listen to that. Yeah, Sybil's just put, um, they're now an Amazon subsidiary. So that was, they didn't, didn't used to be. So I think that must be something, at least in the last couple of years. But it wouldn't surprise me that they've sort of moved over to being connected to Amazon because that just opens up a huge market for them. Just sitting here scrolling to the side, looking at all the quote-unquote free comics that you can download. Oh, yeah. Even on, not on free comic book day, you can still get a huge amount of um, comic books which are actually free from um, this site as well. And they've got a huge collection of Star Trek ones as well. So, um, so I think the graphic novels that um, Stu Dog and I were talking about, I believe they've actually got that um, actually there as well. So you can use the app to um, read those graphic novels. It's not just comics comics they actually do the graphic novels side of things as well because for me the last time i read comics was when i was in middle school and i used to my brothers used to get the beano and the dandy so they were the last time i used to read comic books because um my school they were trying to improve um getting children to read more so they actually turned one of their they lessons. Were trying, they were trying to improve literacy. Yeah. Um, it was just getting people to read more, um, more than anything, especially with more things happening with TV. And, and right. even this is back in sort of, um, sort of the very early 90s. And they wanted more people to read. So they actually created a class that they called Eric which was everybody reading in class. So the whole school for an hour read a book. So I used to bring in my brother's comic books, uh, The Beano and Dandy, and I read them. Um, I didn't I didn't realize I didn't realize this the whole Scott Pilgrim versus the World thing was a comic book. There's like a whole thing of comic books of Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, there's about 10 or so books. Okay. Well, now all the campiness of the the movie kind of makes sense. I only knew that after I'd seen the film. Uh, back to what Midnight was saying about the Beano and the Dandy. Uh, that was brilliant as well because they were produced in the city where I'm from. And my mum worked in the newspaper offices as a cleaner. And at the end of every week, she was able to just, she just got handed a pile of comic books. They were like, you can either take these home to your kids or bin them. It's like, oh, taking them home. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, if you can't go to comic book stores or there isn't anything near where you live, then comicsology.com is great. And as Sybil's also said, and I said, it has a really good app. And they even have a subscription thing as well where you've basically got unlimited reading. Um, so most of the titles that they have actually have an unlimited tag. So basically you can just read anything you want. And the thing is, especially if you love sci-fi, they've got everything from Buffy to Star Trek 
Hellboy, <laughs> um, sort of anything sci-fi fantasy, it's all in there. Um, so essentially what you're saying to me is this is kind of like Netflix, but for comic books. Basically, yeah. I could dig it. So basically, you pay five ninety nine a month. This is US dollars. Um, you can cancel any time. So if you're not going to get time to read, and yeah, you basically sign up and you can just read the books. So, so yeah, if you are into your comics, then sort of head over there. Um, it, if I had the time to read them, I probably would sign up to something like this. But. Uh, yeah, with everything else that I do, I'm not really having time to do everything I'd like to do as it is. So, uh, so yeah, um, but it's something that I might do at some point, especially if I've got to do some traveling or something. Then um, just to break up sort of reading a novel, I might actually do that. But uh, yeah, they've got all sorts of Marvel stuff in there as well. You've got um, DC um, comics. Um, Walking Dead so yeah I'm sure you'll find something that you like there so, so yeah definitely worth checking out um, as I said all these links will be in our show notes so um, yeah just um, head over to um, the website um, and easily clickable okay so, so this week in Star Trek history an episode first aired on March 28th, 1989. The episode, Jordy LaForge's Bad Day, where he gets electrocuted and thrown down the lift. The episode, Contagion, first aired. So following the destruction of the USS Yamato by an Iconian computer virus and the death of Picard's old friend Donald Varley, John Luke resumes Varley's quest to explore the time-ravaged Iconian homeworld, which is situated near the Romulan side of the neutral zone. So the Iconian planet had been scorched thousands of years previously by an alliance of races who were intimidated, threatened and jealous of the Iconian's advanced technology, which included a form of extreme long-range wormhole transporter technology. So along the way, the Enterprise is plagued by computer malfunctions chased down by a Romulan warship. A lot of these events being sort of transferred onto Star Trek Online as well. Yeah, until we deleted the entire episode from history. Yeah. It's also, of course, uh, covered um, um, a little bit when it comes to um, Star Trek Horizon as well. Um, yes. Okay, now it's on to some convention news. <laughs> Convention News. Well, not much in the way of news this week. Still nothing from Star Trek Las Vegas. Um, they've been pretty quiet um, recently, from what I can tell. Um, FCD. Um, as we mentioned last week, the last chance to have purchased the Premier tickets. So that would be the Phoenix Pass, the Phoenix Pass Pass and the Jeff Passes. Um, they are now no longer available. Um, though getting those ended on March 14th. 
You can, however, still get your weekend or day tickets for Saturday or Sunday. So, um, yeah, you can head over to fcdevents.com in order to get your tickets. And, of course, if you know of a convention that you'd like us to cover, let us know and we'll keep on top of any news coming out of them. Okay, so, Star Trek Timelines. Does no one here understand your incredible good fortune? Star Trek Timelines. Did someone say gay? You seem to find this all very amusing. I do enjoy that one. It's just, it's all Q all the time in that intro. I love it. <laughs> well, it's it's also it's also kind of... That one and the in the community one share the same amount of enjoyment. Do you, do you know why? Because it's not just a musical intro; it has stuff in it as well. No, for me, it's just because it's Q. That that's what does it for me. It's freaking Q. <laughs> I mean, because you like the you like the computed and recorded deer as well, don't you? <sighs> I just have a feeling Midnight created it because he likes how it sounded. I was actually I, thinking about that one the other day. See? <laughs> and I was thinking that it's if Sunsail was in 2001 as Hal, that's what the computer would be like. <laughs> <laughs> now, I didn't actually make the bumpers. That was all down to um, Timmy D, um, who's on... Um, Straight out of Gallifrey. Um, that's a podcast from Busy Little Beavers. Um, so yeah, after helping them out one time, um, spoke to him about doing the bumpers. So he was very good to oblige and to create all our wonderful bumpers that we now have. I can't so. let you continue, Midnight. <laughs> Open the pod bay doors, son. I can't do that, Stu. Oh, God. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyway, no Star Trek timelines. <laughs> this is being recorded, right? <laughs> so, um, they've done a server build release. Uh, basically, they're getting ready to release uh, version 1.8. So, they fixed a load of stuff to do with crew items and traits um, getting ready for the client's release. Um, so some of the things they got sorted is Boxer Chakotay. They've addressed a bug where the ship ability stats were incorrect and set to four-star rarity. Yeah, so that's, that sounds like um, he's not able to touch the controls because of his boxing gloves. <laughs> so like all his stats have went down. But yeah, he is only a two-star character, if I recall. Three-star. Um, three-star? Oh, yes, yeah, because he was blue, wasn't he? Yeah, and he's currently he's one of the uh, daily rewards that I have um, for this month. But yeah, he's a three star. Yeah, I think I had him last month for my rewards, so I think I've got two of him. So I did um, actually um, merge him. So, um, so yeah, I think I've got one that's pretty much fused up to full star rating. I've only got one because of the event he was in, and yes, my month this month is the Boxer Chakotay, but I'm only still on day two, because I only seem to log into timelines on Friday as the show's going on. 
actually, um, I've been so I've been I've finally got back into reading my Star Trek novels. So um, usually, what I'll do is at lunchtime I will do the dailies because usually during that um, between twelve and two you can get the bonus chronotons like we discussed the other week. So I usually start all that off, send off a couple of the shuttles, and then I'll quit out and then read more of my novel. But yeah, these last couple of days, I'm again through this novel because um, I'm reading um, Full Circle by um, Kirsten Beyer. Yep. And just so wanting to just read more. <laughs> but I've just forgotten about timelines. It comes to the end of the lunch break. It's like, ah, oh, damn it. And of course I come home do more reading. And then it's just like, damn it. I missed the next two bonus parts as well. It's just like, oh, so well, yeah, these last couple of days, cause it's got to that part of the book where it's all like, everything's now happening. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but it's in, just like, oh. We just started an event in Timelines. It's called Shore Leave, and you're dealing with, I believe, the Augments, the Romulans, and the Cardassians. It's it's a shuttle mission, one again, so it's a fire and forget. Um, they had to create a tune that doesn't exist and looks kind of weird. Um, Augment Riker? Excuse me? He just looks kind of weird with the torn vest and all that. And then the other ones are Romulan Kirk from the Enterprise incident, and then you have Garrick, Elam Garrick, which I thought that one was kind of cool. Spy um, Garrick, Bond. essentially. Yeah, and that was yeah. that was pretty cool. Actually, I quite like those two bits of artwork, and um, in this week's show, they are actually part of the artwork for um, the title uh, um, stuff that yeah, I've they're, got going. they're on the screen right now. So, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, quite sure where augment Riker has come from but as well as doing stuff that you've actually got in canon we have seen on multiple occasions where we've had characters where things have just split off based on the events that they're doing or the little time yeah and the story they're doing so i mean they do have quite a bit of creative license with that because of the the anomaly that's thrown everything into everything so they can just be like oh well this came from an alternate universe because Everything's fucked up right now, so we're good. Well, that, that's they, a good thing about all this, is because they can have anything and everything. So even the stuff that didn't hit the screen, which could even be part of, I suppose, fan fiction, that someone had a good idea, they're going, eh, we could do that yeah. ourselves. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. As I said, Boxer Chakotay has been downgraded on some of the space abilities because he was... Um, too overpowered, I guess. <laughs> um, they fixed a bug with one of the Kirks. So, Platonian Kirks wreath. Um, stat values didn't increase with higher rarities of the item. So, that's now been sorted. Um, there's a whole list of other ones. So, Dr. Sealer now wears a uniform of the appropriate era. Um, with episode five, Mission Enemy Secrets, um, the node has been fixed to unlock by the brutal trait. Um, they've made some changes to the faction events. They've increased the chance for duplicate skills to appear in faction missions. So players may see missions that require multiples of a skill. Um, so they'll occur more often. This change was made to increase the value of 
featured crew and skills during an event. They've also made changes to mission item drop chance and distribution. So they say, we have made a significant and far-reaching change to item drops in the game. This change is a second part of our episode updates, the first of which was a comprehensive rebalance of episode difficulty back in January 2017. And that was a very welcome change, I must admit. They say, with today's build, we have made numerous tweaks to our mission item drop balance to accomplish a few key goals. Increase the chance that players will receive high rarity components when completing elite and epic missions. Improving the variety of mission rewards for some elite and epic missions. And increasing drop locations for some sought-after items. And there's also a blog that, um, that goes into more detail on as well. Yeah, because it's, it's kind of ridiculous to have, um, to have these, oh, hey, here's a mission where you got to build stuff. And some of those components have little pieces to them where you can only either get them via sending off shuttlecraft in a mission or doing this elite ultra Q thing uh, that's a space battle or a ground thing that you can't, that, that you have zero access to. Yes, show me rather than let me get the thing. So, um, and in the blog that they link to, they've got the new drop locations, they've got loot table changes, um, and they go, the following missions have had their loot tables updated, so they list all the episodes, and of course, whether it's, which level it's at, so you've got normal, epic, and elite, so it, basically, it lists all of that sort of stuff, so, um, as I said, head to our show notes if you'd like to um, get the link to check that out yourself. They've also done a load of other um, changes, such as fixing typos. So Star Trek Online aren't the only ones. <coughs> um, <laughs> and they fixed some bugs um, to do with support ticket fields. Um, they fixed a bug that will create errors during galaxy event crafting if a player came back to the game from the background. Um, they've adjusted the cadet challenge schedule um, images to make better conveyance about the rewards. Um, they've added scroll bars to credits and away mission story text. Improved button layout adjustments to a variety of result screens. And there's a significant refactoring of the tutorial performance that has been completed so should no longer result in players breaking their tutorial state. Um, this change should greatly improve the stability and performance of our tutorial, is what they say. I can't help but feel that that side comment was a slight at Alex Midnight. <laughs> Which comment? You mean my one? The whole, the whole, so Star Trek Online isn't the only one. No, it's just you guys have um, bitched at... Um, and yeah, including Alex and chat about um, typos not being fixed in Stowe. Um, and they Look, I complained do it. last week about one of our own show members being exhausted and me not being able to read it. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, I was just messing around. <laughs> it's not just Stowe, I have a problem with spelling. It's everywhere. It's like, please, please, for the love of God, I can't read a thing if you don't spell it properly. I misread an entire blog. <laughs> <laughs> Credit the way I told it and the way I read it made it more badass, but 
it doesn't change the fact that I misread an entire damn blog. It's always fun. So, as we mentioned, we have got a um, faction event called Shore Leave. So, squadrons and crew sharing is allowed. Um, if you're listening live, this will be going on till Monday 20th. Um, depending on when I actually get it out this weekend, it will depend whether you could be listening and actually make some use of it. But if you're someone who likes Garak, then one of the new characters is Elin Garak, which is a five-star legendary um, character. You also have the new Augment Riker, that's four-star super rare. You can also get Romulan Kirk, which is an existing character that you can have. Again, four-star super rare for that one. Um, when it comes to the threshold rewards, you can get the two-star Captain Kirk, which already existed. And if you get high enough, you can get an Augment Riker. Again, that was the four-star one. With your ranked rewards, um, you get Taylor Garrick, which is an existing three-star. You can get, again, Romulan Kirk, which is an existing four-star. And if you do really well, you can get Elam Garrick, um, which is a the new five-star. When you said threshold rewards, my mind just went somewhere else entirely. Salamander, babies. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I've just got to remember to try and get in game um, this weekend to actually fire them off because, yeah, I think I managed to um, fire off a load, but I still on just the 20-minute missions, so I didn't really get <laughs> that now, far. Now, see, he <laughs> said that phrase and my mind went elsewhere. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> <sighs> So, um, so yeah, that's it from Star Trek Timelines. I do have to say, though, I'm looking at the cadet challenge for today, and you know how you said just do, like, the first mission of all the, 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 the tiers? Yeah. Yeah, there's a huge disparity between the, the, the normal and then the elite. Yeah, which is why if you just do that first mission... You can get the three characters leveled up that will allow you to complete each of those challenges. So that I way, I don't even have any of the characters to to finish a single one of the little things in Elite. That's I'm I'm not even talking about Epic, just Elite. The normal one is they're all set at fifty five. Elite, they're all set at one hundred and ninety. I don't well, have a single character that has 190 for any well, of these stats. Instead of doing it at Epic, you can just do it at um, the mid-level, so you still No, 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 get... that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That is the mid-level. Yeah. For Elite on this Cadet Challenge, it is bumped up to from 55 to 190. I can't even look at what the Epic numbers are, but they've got to be over 200. The thing is, if you are able to do the Elite instead of the epic you still get an extra five chronotons extra than you would for just doing the normal so what you can do is keep doing elite until you can level up the characters in order to actually do the epic so then when it comes to doing the epic you'll actually get 25 each time so 
Um, because yeah, I use um a two star Cisco um crusher, um, yeah, CMO crusher. And again, this um, is like this is the problem with leveling data. in this game. I have a level, I have a level 58 Riker. That level 58 Riker has a command of 172. The the command requirement for this mission to complete it, just to complete it, is 190. And this is for this is for elite. This isn't for epic. This is for elite. This is the midpoint. This is between normal and epic. This is the so yeah, it's it goes from 55 to 190. That that's 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 weird. Well, it's strange that you've actually got 190 because to me it shows as 290. That is so weird that my elite says 190. Hmm. Yeah, because I'm 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 literally just going through it now because I'm using for me um, the three characters that I just said that I'm using um, are fully fused two stars, all at level 100 and all immortalized. See, there's a thing. My epic level, like the the three star, the the final tier is 290. Elite is 190, and the normal is 55. Okay. Right. Well, if they were okay. going to add, if they were going to throw 100, shouldn't normal be 90? Well, I suppose they want to make it lower to make sure people can always get it, no matter what. Yeah, but then you're so. still cutting off the people from doing the elite anyway, because. <laughs> Yeah, but the aim you're going to you... really have to grind out these characters to get to that level for elite in the first place. Yeah, but the idea is for you to keep doing that because you can do these ones six times in a day. So you're supposed to go back in order to sort of upgrade your characters. I thought you were just doing them for the stuff. <laughs> Og of Skish has actually turned around and said, how many chairs at a time can Augment Riker swing his leg over? <laughs> Both at the same chat. time? If he holds the back of his chair? If he literally like grabs the back of his thing. chair, he could vault over the chair and sit in it. But yeah, as I said, it's just a matter of, if you rinse and repeat that first one, even on normal, so you've got your 15 chronotons, you can help Build up your coratons in order to level up your characters. Um, as we mentioned um, a while back, if you're part of um, the Discord um, server, um, there's the timelines group there. So they've got this wonderful spreadsheet of information about all the characters. So if you want to work out who you want to get and who you want to level up, you can always work it out that way. So, um, yeah, definitely worth uh, um, using those resources. Okay, well, that is it for Star Trek Timelines. So, let's head over to the holodeck. Holodeck. There is a Kickstarter that has been created. Um, this time it's not for any sort of production or anything else like that. Um, this is to actually get um, a restored um, version of 
the 1970s movie land Star Trek Enterprise wax figures and set. So, and this is to go in the Hollywood Science Fiction Museum world tour. So if long-time listeners to the show will remember when, quite a while ago now, we spoke to Houston Huddleston about um, him doing the Sci-Fi Museum, uh, which is based in, um, is it Seattle or San Francisco? Having a mind freeze now. I think it is over on the West Coast. Um, the Movie Land Wax Museum? Um, no, um, Houston Huddleston's... Um, got the um, sci-fi museum, the Hollywood Sci-Fi Museum. Is that? I would assume that would be in Hollywood. Well, that's what I thought, and but then would... maybe I'm thinking of something else, but I'm sure something was... Uh, I can't Hollywood remember. North Hollywood, LA. California. Hollywood, okay. Hollywood is, a, is, is a suburb of Los Angeles. Yeah, I might just be thinking of another museum. Um, museum will so. be apparently located in North Hollywood, California, where it will be the world's first interactive educational science fiction museum, covering sci-fi films, TV shows, art and literature, whilst teaching, filmmaking, educating the public about space exploration and real science through science fiction. So they're looking to raise um, $14,200 is their goal. So, so far they have raised... 5,921 with 118 backers and there's just under two weeks remaining. So, so yeah, if you would like to assist with um, bringing this set to the museum, um, then head over to kickstarter.com. Just do a search for um, probably Movie Land Restoration would do it. So, um, yeah. Um, they've got photos of um, what you would expect. Um, so you've got Walter Koenig, um, you've got Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, DeForest Kelly, James Duhan, um, George Takei, and Michelle Nichols. Um, they're all the different sort of wax works that you can get. Now they've got to fix them up because. Um, a lot of these, the company who originally had it went bust, so they got auctioned off separately. So basically, they're looking to get all the figures back together and restore them. So, ah, um, Oracle Civil has put in chat that the Trek Museum is next door to the Space Needle in Seattle. So that's what I'm thinking of. Ah, okay. So, because um, when. I did my watch of all of Star Trek and I was watching the movies because I got the DVDs, watched all the extras. And on a couple of those, they had actually got about the Trek Museum. So that's obviously what I'd got in my head when I could see the Space Needle. So that's why I was thinking it was actually Seattle. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you can see where a lot of this basically just wearing tear, I would say, for a lot of stuff where they probably haven't been stored correctly. So they're looking to do all that up. So the budget is basically allowing $1,200 for shipping, two and a half grand for storage, um, four grand for the restoration figures and set, legal insurance and appraisals, which will be three and a half thousand, 
rewards 2400 and other expenses as 600 um, so that total is 14,200 US dollars so um, the Hollywood Science um, Fiction Museum is a non-profit they have actually got the 501c3 educational um, the, that so it's an educational foundation um, they do say they are not associated, sponsored or endorsed by CBS or Paramount and that all the Star Trek Enterprise logos, designs are all owned by CBS Studios. So, um, yeah, if you'd like to go find them and help them, the link will be in our show notes. Or as I said, you can search for them in within kickstarter.com's website. Um, the title of the Kickstarter is Star Trek Original Cast plus Bridge Movieland Restoration. Okay, so if you remember last week, we um, talked about the financial report, this comprehensive document that um, Alec Peters has released, um, which still wasn't actually comprehensive, wasn't independent. Um, but yeah, um, well, as always, AXA Monitor has been keeping track of everything that's been going on. Because if CBS and Paramount wish to go back to Alec Peters and say, look, you're violating the terms of our settlement, now we're going to really drag your ass through everything. There's documentation to help them. So, um, so yeah, um, Carlos has done another good job um, of breaking it all down. So it, basically, he a lot of the stuff which was highlighted are things that we'd sort of talked about and highlighted ourselves. Um, and except he does it in a lot more detail and sort of says it and lays it out in something which is probably a lot better than sort of <laughs> we could do. <laughs> Well, he sets it out in understandable terms from from a position of knowing what these things are or going to investigate and find out what these things are. Yeah. We're just podcasts, but we don't really know stuff. We just know that it looks wrong. Somebody else goes, yep, nope, that's wrong. This is why it's wrong. And that someone is Carlos. Indeed. So, but yeah, once again, it's highlighted and shown just how much is still undisclosed how much it wasn't independent and everything else so um so yeah um definitely head over to axe monitor to have a look at that um but it also talked about their soundstage not actually being a proper soundstage because it's not even soundproof and um yeah so um so yeah go take a look um, was there anything in that blog that Carlos created regarding the financials that you guys thought was more noteworthy? Honestly, I haven't seen it, so I have to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, um, one of the things they also brought up, um, like we did, was the fact that, of course, despite Alec Peters saying he's going to be the first fan-funded studio. Um, yeah, 
as we mentioned, there was another one, which was Legion M. So, and there's still no information on them actually giving over um, their documents to actually get the 501c3 paperwork. And the thing is, if they are actually submitting stuff for that, given how bad the paperwork is that they're giving to donors, which is supposed to be something they can truly get into, they're not getting it. <laughs> so I like how one of the standout quotes is, what this report lacked was any documentation whatsoever for expenses or income, especially the personal cash infusion Peters claimed he and others put into the corporation. Because remember, this, this company is filed in California as a for-profit venture, not-for-profit, un, not, not for-profit. So, yeah. It's just very, very, very dodgy. I mean, just being like, hey, um, we need money. Can you give us money? Okay, we'll um, let's not bother recording any of that. Um, yeah, so um, can you give us more? More money. More money. Yeah. Speaking of which, has we started already his new Kickstarter thingy? Apparently so. Shameful. Shameful display. Shameful and noted display. that it's... It's Kickstarter this time and not Indiegogo. It was Kickstarter the first time. Ah, all right. I thought they'd. I thought he had an Indiegogo campaign on the go, and it was suddenly changed no, to no, Kickstarter. No, well, he had he had an Indiegogo campaign. Yes, he had Kickstarter. Then he jumped ship to Indiegogo because these groups kind of like to schmooze with, you know, with well-off. Uh, funding projects, you know? So if somebody else has to... If somebody else goes, we need more money, then all of those companies kind of go in and go, hey, you want to come to us? You know, this this will be our rate for you because you've already had a successful campaign before. So well, they, they literally were hopping around not just to kind of paper trail lose everything, but because those actually those companies actually work that way. Well, one thing that happened this week was the fact that the video they'd created for their Kickstarter got released early when it shouldn't have been. So even though he took it down, of course, it got released to the internet, so lots of people have so it. So it still exists everywhere. Yep, and you can still watch it. So they've got all these people saying how... Sort of industry studios is such a great idea. Sort of students and filmmakers can do it for nothing or next to nothing. And it's just like... Wait, wait, wait. If they can do it for nothing and next to nothing, why the hell did he need $1.4 million? Yeah, well, the thing is, is this whole thing, they're putting on hold, once again, the creation of the Axanar two-parter, to get the studios sorted so they've got a good foundation to do it. So he's back once again to ask people to give money so he can pay thousands of dollars to keep his for-profit studio open, which, of course, he is still housing his prop works company there rent-free. So just, it's just like, why... And, yeah, they've they got some other projects. And, of course, in this sort of video that he's done, he uses clips from Prelude, 
clips from um, the Vulcan scene, um, clips from another fan production um, for Harry Potter. Um, so all these fan productions he's using to promote a for-profit business once again. And it's just like, doesn't well wait doesn't doesn't that specifically itself just on its face violate the settlement? Yeah, because that's he's what using I think. Somebody else else's IP to promote his personal venture. And I'm thinking, seriously, do you not learn? <laughs> it's just like, why? And it's just the fact that then, okay, wait, this wait, studio wait, wait. is only it's so be- big, and he's got his stage for the bridge of his ship and it's just like there's not that much room around it to build other sets really it's just like how many people are really going to be able to use it so not only not only is cbs going to take him back to court uh paramount might take him back to court as well and then whatever the hell studio it is that owns the harry potter franchise in movie film stuff oh god no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know exactly how that argument would go down if he talked to a lawyer about about his he, he didn't violate anything. The argument would go, but I removed it from the internet. And it's like, that doesn't yes. mean it doesn't exist, you asshole. Yes, there's all this stuff about how nothing's going to be removed from the internet because everything's going to be there for history and posterity's sake. And he's just like, I'll delete this, I'll delete that, I'll delete that. You're doing the opposite of what you said. Okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's interesting that he's also moved to Indiegogo from Kickstarter. Now, of course, the original... Um, crowdfunding for Prelude was actually done with Indiegogo, but he worked out and got promoted by Kickstarter to, and that helps a lot with his funding. Now, I think he's going back because one of the other things that's also covered on um, Axel Monitor is the fact that lots of people are now asking for refunds. Now, this was something I think we actually mentioned last week. And he's actually gone and he started basically copying and pasting the same response to like every single one. Only thing is Kickstarter's system has actually removed those as spam. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm wondering whether or not he's just pissed off with Kickstarter because of all that. So <laughs> spam bot Peters, spam bot Peters. Brilliant. Yeah, he's looking to raise money because basically he has to pay between fifteen and eighteen grand a month to keep the studio afloat. Now, first of all, why is it fifteen to eighteen thousand? Don't you actually know the exact figure you're aiming for? So why is it between? Why is it the fluctuating? Two? Because depending on where you see him talk about what it costs, it's, it's a bit like how much money he's put in himself. So one time it will be, oh, I've put in 20,000. Oh, I've put in 50,000. Well, well, oh, I've put in 100,000. Oh, I've put in 150,000. It just keeps changing. I'm sorry, but don't most most 
lease agreements have a specific amount that doesn't fluctuate for the you know the number of however long it is that you're renting the space which is your what rent you're doing. will be fifteen thousand dollars for the next six months and at the end of that six months we'll revise the sum we'll either keep it the same drop it a little bit or raise it a little bit depending on what government does Right, right, right. Well, here's the question. If that's the case, and the low end, the actual amount is 1500 a month, what are you doing with the extra money that may come if you achieve 1800 a month? Because it sounds like that sounds like a pretty good way to pocket money on the side. You know, this coming from a guy whose own lawyer didn't redact documents that said, hey, I took a personal salary. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, he gave it back. <laughs> that's, that, that, that excuses nothing. That excuses nothing, Mr. Peters. You still paid yourself. And it, it's just, yeah, it's just why, again. And the thing is, basically, this Indiegogo campaign, which... Um, We've, I got a donor email, so um, we'll go through that in a minute because it's just basically announcing it to all the donors. So, hey, you gave me $1.4 million. Now give me some more so I can actually do the two-parter that I can now do. Um, Please, sir, can I have some more? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Is the, does, the, does the donor email spe- specifically say... Though, does it does not exactly, but does it specifically lay out? I need you to give me more money so I can make the two part. Well, let's read it. <laughs> this is going to be fun. So it's titled "Stay Tuned: The Future of Sci-Fi Starts Monday." So, March 17, twenty seventeen. Dear friends, fans, and donors, I'm pleased to announce that after an extensive amount of groundwork. We're ready to launch our crowdfunding campaign to secure Industry Studios' future. On Monday morning at 9am Pacific, we'll be launching a 30-day Indiegogo campaign to help fund the hard costs associated with maintaining our soundstage facility in Valencia, California. Don't know why he's calling it a soundstage, because it's not soundproofed. And from posts that we've got screenshots of, He's got no intention of soundproofing either, so sorry, not a soundstage. But I digress. So it goes on to say, We've decided to launch this crowdfunding campaign at this time for a few reasons. One, in order to secure Axanar Productions' unique position as a non-profit film production company, it's important that we are able to offer and use high-quality production facilities at very low costs to independent filmmakers, fan film producers, and students learning about filmmaking by actually doing it. Full stop. Full stop. You can't, you can't call anything a high-quality production facility if you don't fucking soundproof your sound stage. Or if you don't even produce anything from it. Or if you don't even finish the sets. Anyway, industry studios, from the green screen to the soundstage to the dressing and makeup rooms, is the crown jewel in this portfolio. 
we hope to offer this generation of up-and-coming writers, producers, directors and talent. Number two, while we won't rely solely on donations to operation, we are continuing to approach possible commercial projects about short-term facility rentals. That was in brackets. It is important for us to have as much donor support as possible and then manage our inventory of available time to lower budget productions like fan films, student projects, and fledging independent productions based on that cash flow. Full stop. This means he's literally saying, we're going to take your money, do with, what, do with it what we will, and then once we have allocated time and money to other other productions, we will then assist those other productions. That's literally what he just said. Yeah. So number three, we have several producers and directors who have already heard about our plans and have approached us about working together. We've also heard from schools in the LA area that are interested in developing working relationships with us so their students can get experience working in genres of filmmaking that usually allude to educational institutes with limited production facilities. So what he's saying there is people are interested in getting stuff for free, a bit like how he got a studio for free, I suppose. Um, so yeah, why would people not be interested? Okay, number four. And last, but certainly not least, we have a number of fan-related projects of our own we want to move ahead with. Projects cool in addition... Stop. Who are you going to rip off now? You mentioned Harry Potter. Who's going to sue you next? Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so we, we have a number of fan-related projects of our own we want to move ahead with. Projects in addition to Project Axanar. Securing our financial future with regard to our soundstage and offices will allow us to focus on producing content to share with you all. Not to mention that he has no mention the fact that, as I said, he's still housing his for-profit company, PropWorks, within this studio as well, which, from what's been said, he's not paying any rent at all for that either. So yeah, it goes on to say, so stay tuned for what promises to be a very exciting and important point on ongoing development of Axonar Productions. We're excited about what we have to share with you about future projects and think we have a very interesting proposition for you to consider. Have a great weekend. Alec Peters, Axonar Productions. So, yeah, my question is, again, why go from Kickstarter to Indiegogo? Is it because of them saying that all your comments were spam? And sort of because, yeah, people are saying they want refunds and he's just basically been spamming. Um, saying, um, I, from what I've been told, he was actually saying, if you basically you sign an NDA to never talk about Axanar again, um, in any media. And basically if you do for each occurrence that it happens, um, you've got to pay a fine to us of $5,000. Bullshit, because that's not included in Kickstarter itself's terms of service. So, bullshit, Mr. Peters. Yeah, well, yeah, people were basically telling him to fuck off. So... <laughs> I, um, so I do want to make... I do want to... I do want to make note... He mentioned Project XNR, but he was very, 
It's almost as if he had a PR person tell him not to, not to directly say that they might might sort of kind of use the money for Project Axanar, because it says projects in addition to Project Axanar. See, that's a very specific. That's a very specific legalese piece right there to say we're not using this. This is just a thing associated with us. And it's yeah. it's a very yeah that's that's very dodgy because uh what other projects what other projects you don't say what what schools you don't say what directors you don't say but you did sure as fuck say Project Axanar. Yep. And the thing is, in that video, as I said, they show these clips and stuff from. Um, these things. Now, one of them is from a project called Personal Space that features um, um, Richard Hatch um, and some other sort of Stargate, um, Battlestar Galactica and um, other sort of um, actors that people actually recognise as well as um, I think some of the other ones there is that um, Harry Potter one as well I'm trying to think what it's called. Um, Wasn't there supposed to be supposedly another independent Star Trek fan filmy thing that was supposed to be shooting at their sets as well? That was wholly not related to X and R in, in any way whatsoever, other than they wanted to use the soundstage. Yeah, but they probably went somewhere else after everything that's happened. Um, but yeah, um, as we sort of said. They've got all these things and clips it and everything else. And it's just like, okay, question. Did you rent your studio to the projects for personal space and to this fan production for um, the Harry Potter thing during the time when you should have actually been doing Axanar in the first place and or when it was actually... Um, going through the lawsuit and if so how much money did you actually get from that because again still no actual documentation in the new financial report on anything like that and if neither of those projects were actually filmed in his studio then why does it make why does it make it sound like it has been now now, condense that paragraph into a sentence please well, he makes it sound during that video that personal space and possibly even this um, Harry Potter fan production were actually shot in industry studios. But yeah, it does come given, across that way. Given the fact that, well, Richard Hatch is in it, that if they had actually filmed in the studios, it would have either have been while he should have actually been doing the XNR production, or during the lawsuit. Which means which, that... Which he shouldn't have been doing anything anyway because lawsuit. Exactly. And it's just like, well, if they were using it, even if... Were they paying for the use of that during this time? And if so, how much did you get? Again, Again, this is, this is stuff that's not part of this, this quote-unquote independent financial anything that is supposed to cover all of the shit up to, up to the beginning of this year. 
because it was the end of 2016. It was December 2016 for the financial report, right? Mm. And yeah, it's just, again, to me, that video just raises more questions. It's just like, what else have you been doing that you maybe shouldn't have been doing? Like, um, it's like we said last week, I went to, I went myself to go look up what a top sheet was. A top sheet is a an estimate of expenditure. It's an estimate of all your expenditures. It's not what you actually spent. It's an estimate. And he, he not only handed one top sheet for things, he handed two of them to these people. And these people went and, went and looked through all of this stuff and got, was, yeah, 100% accounted for. No. First off, you guys claim to have done this shit before. The website that was talking about a top sheet literally said everything in your production should be covered in one fucking top sheet. Not two. And here were two. And you guys who claim to have 40 years worth of experience in the entertainment industry and budgeting all of this crap and finance in the entertainment industry, it didn't click in your head, he's got two top sheets, why does he have two top sheets? Did two top sheets should be one top sheet altogether. Is that his independent review panel that consisted of Axonar yes. loyalists that had paid yes. thousands of dollars? Yes. Yes, it does. And they looked at the looked at the books and says, looks all right to me. Mm. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally fine, yeah. He's totally kosher. He's not dodgy at all. Oh, rala. Mm. Rala. It's a spawn attacks, man. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see how much that video may have changed um on monday so um yeah i'll have to have a look but yes i definitely won't be donating to one of his projects again <laughs> no i mean the, the fact is if, if you were going to donate to axanar you want Axonar. You don't want to donate money. I know for what project to... I donate to him for. Was that if he did a GoFundMe for help me get medical help? I would donate to that. That's uh... like professional mental help. Yeah, I'd wholly donate to that. Oh, I, I thought you meant like uh, donate to <laughs> some kind of medical no, help to like help him, him die. If he actually took the time to go, look, I did all of this crap. I think I need professional mental help. I would wholly donate to that. Of course, there's there's no guarantee he would go and seek it in the first place, and he might pocket the money anyway. But, Damn it, yeah. i got to stop giving him ideas. <laughs> but yeah, um, what's going to happen is on Monday, which is the 20th of March, he's going to be releasing a Indiegogo campaign where he's going to be asking for $162,000 to basically get the studio through to basically the end of 2017. So basically for 2018, he'll be looking to raise an additional $216,000. Can I say something that is perhaps a rather fair thing to say? You got your own Go company, bro. You've got all your costumes and stuff. Go and, go and do a job, bro. That well, that's, not... what, that's what he'll say he's been doing. Is like, that time when we complained that we got spammed by prop works um, through the Axanar mailing list. And he's like, no, 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 this was a special Axanar thing to raise money. 
So, yeah, it's not the first time he's used Axanar to try and get stuff, um, money made through prop works. But, uh, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting because, especially with how many people are now asking for refunds, whether people are really going to put up that much money because if he's looking for costs as high as 18 grand a month I'm not sure whether it's going to work so I'll definitely be monitoring how this goes because we do know there so are people be, out there you'll that will also be exa monitoring <laughs> yeah the thing is it'll be interesting to see how many people still think the sun shines out of his ass because they'll be the people who've been donating to the Indiegogo campaign so is in some respects, I'm tempted just to maybe donate like a dollar um, just so I get all the emails and things. <laughs> or even a cent. <laughs> Whatever the I was going to say is. that if you, if you donate a cent, will he then have to pay some form of transaction fees to get that cent? <laughs> so it would actually cost uh, them money to deal with it. Um, I don't know about that. No, I mean, it is striking me as a very much a, a boy that cries wolf sort of situation. He's losing the support that he already has, and he's trying to call out for more. And people are saying, yeah, don't go near that fire because it's uh, it, it's not cool. It's Alec Peters blow. has become the siren of fanboyisms. Yes. Everybody, Don't everybody crash on wants those rocks. It. Everybody hears what they want to hear, and they want to go towards it. And then suddenly, their ships and their everything's are dashed upon the rocks. So, uh, well, yeah, we'll we'll be monitoring and following the um, the campaign to let people know how that actually goes on. So, um, because well, for me, after being threatened, bullied, and boxed by the man, I'm never going to trust him for a project again. But uh -huh. there are people out there who still do, and that's up to them. So and at the end of the day, Axanar is about something in the Star Trek universe, so we will continue to report on Axanar, um, except, yeah, we're not going to trust what he says because unlike a lot of people, um, we've actually been sort of on the other side of his sort of like all nice and smiles. We're actually talking about being on the other side of um, things. Um, we had mentioned about refunds. Well, No refunds. Well, We've actually got, um, as always, AXA monitors been on it. So, um, yeah, basically got a screenshot, which the Axonar Productions post has basically just got, this comment has been removed by Kickstarter. <laughs> and um, basically Kickstarter has deleted Axonar spam and Peter suspends refunds. Because um, basically after dozens of posts were deleted... Um, sort of, this um, isn't the first time that a bunch of his posts have been deleted, though. No, no, because no, originally I think this happened in November last year, 2016. Um, Don't you think that at some point would actually put a gag on him from posting in his own thing because he is 
he is violating their terms of service by spamming that Kickstarter. Yeah. And yeah, one of the um, screenshots that Axel Monitor's got is an email from Alec to this guy, Eric, and is put in there. I have refunded the three of you. Now, here is the deal. I'm going to refund the other three of your little group of malcontents and some others who want their money back. But if you post about these refunds or go tell Carlos or whoever, the refunds will stop. If you want to be the arseholes to try and embarrass me and Axnar, I'll make it very clear that you three ruined it for everyone. Except you're the one that ruined it by not handing out the refunds, as you should be doing, as is legally required of you through Kickstarter. Um, and yeah, it sort of, and he's still been refusing to give refunds, so donors have been sort of saying, yeah, give me my money back. Um, so, um, again, Axe has got a whole page to the no refunds thing. Um, but yeah, some donors weren't buying what he was saying and just sort of said, send me a refund, thanks. Um, and um, yeah, it it hasn't sort of been going well. thing is, in order to try and get me to shut up, he, of course, sent me the refund of my money. Um, this was, of course, early on, um, where, as people know who listened that it's just, I ask simple questions, um, but it was out in the public, and he wanted me to delete them. It's just like, well, no. And that's the guy, when... The guy literally like came into other people's personal Facebook pages and said, you need to delete this right now. And it's like, fuck you, this is my personal Facebook, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And it's just like, Mm, no, I'm not going to delete it. So, yeah, he goes, well, I'm going to ban you from all the groups. And it's just like, well, no, I'm a donor. Part of that means I have access to these things. And it's like, fine, I'm going to refund your money, basically. Um, and yeah, and he, then he doxed you doing it. Like, so he posted it on the donor page and included, like, your full email and all that stuff for what um, you yeah, it through. It, it was Twitter. Um, yeah, because he goes, I've refunded you. And I said, well, I haven't received the money yet. So um, not in a private message or anything else like that. He posted to every Twitter follower um, my um, email information for my PayPal account. And it's just like, um, excuse me? <laughs> and you this is after... People, you claim people doxed you for a public fucking document. And yeah, now you're it, doxing people on the internet. And it's just like, seriously. But yeah, he'd actually, um, as I said, he was trying to get people to sign an NDA um, for like getting refunds. Three, like he did out of those three, quote unquote, independent financial whoever the hells. Yeah, and it's just like, uh, the three independent Axonar employees. Um, I mean, independent people. <laughs> but yeah, the NDA that he was trying to get people to sign in order to get a refund was um, Axonar Productions Inc. has a strict confidentiality policy in regard to its affairs. 
by accepting a refund for your donation, you agree not to disclose said refund, nor discuss Axonar in any media, including but not limited to social media such as Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, etc. You acknowledge and agree that any disclosure by you to any individual or entity of any information regarding Axonar or this refund will cause irreparable harm to Axonar Productions, Inc., and shall entitle Axner Productions, Inc. to damages in the amount of $5,000 per occurrence. For purposes of clarity, in the event of Axner Productions, Inc. approves your disclosure of confidential information in writing, and or you disclose information that was already publicly known, provided such public knowledge is not due to your disclosure, then such disclosure shall not be deemed a breach of this agreement. You agree to jurisdiction in the state of California, USA, which states law shall be controlling. The undersigned hereby accepts and agrees to comply with the foregoing. That is what he was trying to get people to sign when they got refunds. And only if the... So that's what he was originally trying to do. Except that nobody has to be bound by this contract in the first place. So that anybody that did sign it and get their money back didn't have to follow a single word of it. And it's just like, oh. But the thing is, if they broke that NDA, I'm sorry, what money are you going to use to prosecute that? (laughs) My point exactly. It's just like, you don't have the money to do anything. You don't have you don't have the one point five million dollars that you had to make a studio and do a film. You sure as hell didn't have the money to go up against CBS and Paramount, which you got a lawyer for kind of pro bono in the first place. And you still wound up having to pay for certain other expenses because that's how court systems work. How the hell are you going to come up with all of the money on your own to massively sue a whole bunch of people who go, fuck your NDA? Yeah. And it's just like, wow. But yeah, he tried forcing silence on people. And yeah, (laughs) it didn't work. So, but um, (laughs) yeah, it's just like, what are you doing? Um, but yeah, I think because people are asking for these refunds and his comments being deleted, I think that's why he's actually moved to Indiegogo. He, well, that and he's at his wits end too. Because, you know, considering considering the channels of Kickstarter, he has to start paying those people back if they if they go through. I don't know. I don't know specifically, but th- there's supposed to be a way through Kickstarter. You ask Kickstarter for a refund from these people. Yeah. Is I mean, Kickstarter, said, Kickstarter will say you have to go to that person first, and just go. Hey, it's you know, it's part of the thing of, yeah, this person won't refund me. I want my money back because they aren't fulfilling their terms. Well, if they're not fulfilling the terms, that's kind of a reason for a nullification of the everything in the first place. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Alex actually says in chat, "Hey, son." How do you know he doesn't have the money? Have you seen any receipts? Any proof where any of the money went? Oh, no, (laughs) no, no, no. I know the money's gone. I personally know the money's gone. 
because he lives in fucking California, living in California, living in living and renting and doing anything in California where he does around the L.A. area is a lot like living in New York. Now, I haven't personally lived in New York, but I have friends who have living in New York is about five and six times more expensive on a day-to-day basis than where I live right now. And where I live right now, you kind of can't really live on on making 30 something thousand dollars a year you can't you, you you can't even at that point you're literally surviving so yeah no i he, i know the money's gone not to mention any frivolity he's thrown the money at along the way you know so midnight yeah I've been thinking about maybe buying a couple of wee star trek models maybe a, a little kit to build and put on my desk uh, do you know anywhere that I can get like some nice little models, like Thank Star you, Trek Stu. models? <laughs> Any well, kind of like Star you've... Trek related merchandise, you know? Yeah, well, you can get proper licensed ones from Eagle Moss actually, with a nice book and everything else. Oh, and you can also get them. There are reports that the donor store is back now. The new donor store that I don't have access to anymore. Um, but yeah, there are reports that the donor store is back and they're selling Star Trek, um, um, merchandise basically. So, you know, no, interesting, interestingly enough, these look like the actual prices for those models. Like, like if you went out and if you went out to a store and you got a Star Trek ship model. These kind of look like the prices you would be paying anyway, like for the licensed merchandise. And um, there's a little, little known but still applicable law in the United States when it comes to the reselling of merchandise is that you can't have it at the same price you bought it or above the price you bought it. Oh, Axe actually tweeted um, the reason why they've actually switched from Kickstarter. Choosing your funding type. Indiegogo is the only crowdsourcing um, platform that will allow you to keep your funds even if your campaign doesn't reach its goal. So that will be why they move from Kickstarter because take if they the don't hit run, their target, the run. he can't keep the money. He doesn't get anything if he doesn't actually do it. So at least if he doesn't he only gets, say, 10 grand, then at least that way he can keep the 10 grand. have this image in my head of him wearing, uh, like, the stereotype that's speak, language, English, activate. I have this image in my head of him wearing, like, a burglar costume with the sort of the bag over his back and the little, like, thing covering his eyes running down the street. <laughs> See? Yeah. He's like the Hamburglar from McDonald's exactly. mascotry, except it's Star Trek that he's trying to steal all the time. Hell, it's not even Star Trek anymore. It's just fandom, period, because he's got, like, so, Harry Potter up in there now. Son, instead of being dressed as the Hamburglar, he's dressed as, like, Harry Mudd or the guy from Trouble with Tribbles. I was going to say the guy that, that, um, the guy that David Tennant played in Harry Potter, because that was a creepy role. With the with the constantly licking his the side of his mouth like he was like he was a snake. God, do you remember that midnight? 
can't remember that guy's name. I can't. I've only ever watched the films once. Um, and that was back in December. So He was like he was like the son Crouch. Marty Crouch, wasn't it? I I honestly can't remember. Because he was like the son of the judge on the court. But um yeah, basically this whole thing with this new crowdfunding is basically he wants people to pay for his studio. That's what it is. Pay for us to finish the studio, and maybe if we raise enough money, maybe we'll soundproof it. Yeah, maybe you can get Axonar parts one and two. You know, the projects that you've already raised $1.7 million for in total. But that's not all. You'll also get the epic Vulcan scene that we keep ramming down your throat every time we're asked about, like, how much content you're going to get out of Axonar. That's, uh, yeah. And that's not all. If you call right now, in the next 10 minutes, I'll throw in this set of steak knives. Their highest production Star Trek quality. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I guess time will tell and we will actually figure out um, who's actually willing to still throw money at him uh, when it comes to this new campaign. Because... I'll, well, for one, I'll be interesting to see what he actually has as perks. So, and the thing is, will these perks include early access to any production created there? Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if people with um, that's in just small text only when it comes to signing any agreement to use the studio. <laughs> Um, yeah, not sure. But, yeah, we will let you know next week. So. A fine set of dinner lurpers. Yeah, Alex in chat says, if... Ah, civil, brilliant. If he publishes Axanar, it'll be Axanar 0.5, because he could only produce 7.5 minutes. (laughs) Okay, well, that's it for Holodeck. So... On to some Star Trek Online news. Star Trek Online. First of all, we have got the event calendar. Um, at the moment, you've still got running the Temporal Agent event. Now, you're getting close to the end date for that. Um, Now, that is the 4th of April. Um, The breach is only going until... And this is console at the moment. Um, That's going to the 7th of April. For those who are on PC, that's going to the 24th. So that got extended by a day. So hopefully you've got all your stuff um and there's also 15 percent off all packs on all platforms now that is running um basically from now until april 21st so um yeah now pc the... thing isn't it because um, like when i the interesting thing is if you go to the new site at least for me if i go to the star trek online thing that brings up news that's in the little scroll it's not actually in the new section 
Like it's in the little banner that keeps scrolling different news things, but it's not in the news portion. And when I click on it and start reading it, it says for PC, uh, all packs that are sold for all ARC games through ARC. So I, I would assume the ARC launcher are tw- are 15% off. Yes, and there's packs for consoles as well that are 15% off. It's a Klingon pack, a Starfleet pack, and a Romulan pack. It confused well, me when well, I was gathering all the blogs. I, it's two different articles, one pertaining to PC and the other one pertaining to consoles. That's weird. Because what they showed for... Because what, cause what was sh- shown in the PC blog itself for this, the PC bit of news, was the Agents of Yesterday pack, which is the Mega Bundle pack, and then the Federation-only bundle. The Delta Alliance pack, which is a whole bunch of all-faction stuff. And then the Ro- Legacy of Romulus packs, which are the first yeah, couple of so bundles that they had. For the PCs. And then on the console one, it shows the three console packs. So I'm gathering from this that the legacy pack, the Rom, blah English, the legacy pack, the Delta pack, and the Temporal pack isn't available on consoles. That's what I gather from it, and that they've only got the three faction-specific packs. Well, Lacassi says there is a tweet for each platform, so. Oh, okay. So it so it so it is, I guess, across all arc things. But yeah. again, again, look, this is why they just ran the promotion for all you Xbox and PlayStation Four people to quote unquote link your account to Arc, because I bet you have to go through Arc to get these packs, um, or at least to get the discount. Possibly, um, though, given the fact that both systems have their own stores. Um, it might actually be through there. Not sure. Um, unfortunately, um, Geese isn't with us. Um, he might have been able to tell well, us. Yeah, but see, here's the thing: if they have linked their account, through, if they've linked their console account through Arc, however that's done, it may. If they haven't done that, it may not apply the fifteen percent off. Because uh, it um, seems like a great way to scam a whole bunch of people on consoles out of money if they're not linked into Arc. That's um, I don't know. Now the upgrade weekend for those of you listening live is going until Monday the twentieth. So if you are able to get a load of upgrade tokens from um, the recent Omega event, um, or you. Like me, got a load of Phoenix um, tokens. Um, things like that will be extremely useful to use now because um, you're getting, is it double the tech points? Yep. So, um, yeah, I. Cause you, these, the last few weekends like this, I've actually been missing because I'm so busy doing work, family stuff, podcasts that. I usually miss it, so I was determined last night to actually get some stuff. <laughs> Even though I know um, things we're going to be talking about, stuff could be changing, it's just like, no, I'm going to pick some items and actually get that upgraded. <laughs> so um, I've used about 120 of my Phoenix boxes, so I've only got about 280 left now. But um, run out of energy credits. To do what? 
oh, I'm going to get some other weapon because um, I've got six beam arrays. I wanted to make that eight for... Um, ah, okay. And I also... All thought, beam build. Yeah, well, that's why I've mainly been going for um, recently. Um, but I thought, if well, you, if, if I also modify, get... If you're, I also, you're, still doing the, you're still doing the disruptor build, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I thought I'd go for make, different... Because I've sure, been sure doing... I know you're trying to do an all beam build, but at least make sure one of those slots is the, or well, both of those slots. Save three slots out of your entire build for the, um, the the uh, the Nausicaan disruptor set that just came out. Remember, the beam, the torpedo, the console, the entoiled set. Okay, so because that 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 beam itself is a is a drain hold, if I remember rightly. So is that the Lakari rep? That's the, we found the K-13 station mission. Right. Um, yeah, at the moment I'm just getting weapons together because while there is this upgrade weekend and I have got the Phoenix upgrade stuff, um, I'm just wanting to try and get that, so... Um, well, if you've got that set, you can level it up to Mark 14, like, pretty easily with yeah, this remind, weekend. Remind me at the end of the show, because I've got okay. quite a few sets, um, but most of those I still have just got at the default rare and Mark 12. I've not actually upgraded them. I've just upgraded what I'm using. Um, so, yeah, um, probably should go through more of those sets and get them upgraded, I suppose. Um, but I thought if I do disruptors, I get the eight beams. That, as I said, I've got six for, and then maybe get some cannons and things like that. So that way, if I want to put them on another ship, so I got the um, was it vulnerable locators? The um, vulnerability locators. Yeah. Yeah. So I got five of them, um, even though. The ship that I'm next planning to level up is the Lakari one, so that's only got two or three tactical. Um, can't remember offhand. Um, yeah, I thought if I get the five and so I've leveled each of them up to epic as well, so that way, again, if I do another disruptor build and I've got five tactical slots that I can use, then they can all slot into all those. And tactical positions. So um, I just thought, try this weekend to actually get in and actually make use of these upgrade tokens that I've been basically saving up for like over a year because mm -hmm. I haven't had time to sort of mm -hmm. get in game properly. So it's like, no, this weekend I'm going to do it, going to do it. So I've started. Only thing is, yeah, I ran out of energy credits, so um, need to sort some stuff out to get some more. But uh, but yeah, um thing is, is because I was going for the Alarchi weapons, those ones can't actually be um, done through the R&D system. So, um, so yeah, that meant using energy credits for those. Um, otherwise, I would have just crafted it and then just leveled them up. And I think I may still have some of the upgrade stuff, which basically just puts it straight to Epic and Max. Because um, there was those Fucking enhanced bastard. ones. I think I've got four of them. I've got to double check that I'm not thinking it's a different one. Um, so, 
But if I'm going to use that, I'd rather use it on something that's like a Mark II but has the mods that I have. So, um, so yeah, just looking to actually just make use of this weekend um, for a change. <laughs> so, uh, that's a, yeah, that's just a couple of days left that I need to actually make sure, well, basically just make sure I get in-game. Because that's the thing, isn't it? Is uh, just making sure you actually do it. Um, cause, yep. Yeah. That's why I did it yesterday. <laughs> and now my build is super squishy and I don't know why. Where did you get those energy credits from? <laughs> see, see, quit giving me senior moments because I literally <laughs> just asked myself the same question. <laughs> After you said it, I'm like, what energy credits? But what? Basically, I had had Duolachi beams that he was looking for, and I sold them to him for 30 million EC because they're a lot more expensive on the exchange right now, guys. And I go back to the bank to start putting my stuff away for the character because I haven't logged into the character in a while. And I look at my energy credit amount and I go, where did I get these 30 million energy credits for? Oh, wait. <laughs> I felt a dumb. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, so, now, of course, the big news is, as we know, we recently had a ground revamp. Well, they're actually doing that for space. And there's been a couple of more releases. Um, there's, on there's, the been a couple, there's been a couple of questions too. So, um, and a lot of QQ apparently. So <laughs> yeah, but just before we get into those, um, just to note that yesterday's patch for the PC um, resolved an issue where some players could not claim the tier five rewards for the Lakari rep. Um, Unto the Breach to resolve some issues with spots lacking collision where players could get out of the event zone. They've, ex- of course, extended the date to the 24th, as we've previously mentioned, um, but they've now added that onto the calendar. Um, they've resolved an issue where the fighter for the Temple Heavy Dreadnought Cruiser appeared bright white at certain distances. With systems that resolved an issue that caused the protomatter capacitor starship trait to affect more than just a passive shield regen. They resolved an issue that could cause the Lakari rep weapons to sometimes heal enemies. That sounds fun. (laughs) And resolved an issue where the Lakari restoration initiative reinforced singularity core by saying that fast lots of times. Um, Yeah, did not gain a modifier at ultra-rare. This will update existing versions of the items. And, of course, the only known issue is the FPS, um, which is frames per second, will drop in character creation if the randomized button is pressed. Never press random. Don't press the random button. You know, by saying this, people are going to press it now. Yep, and then the server we've, will crash. And we've implanted will that fold. suggestion into people's Stow minds. Stow will fold and Cryptic will go, well, you guys couldn't stop pressing a random button. There's your doom. 
So, as I briefly mentioned, the they are now looking at doing the space balance changes. Um, one of the thoughts that I had, which I think was actually echoed by Timberwolf, oh. um, is that um, this is more than likely going to be released next week. Um, so they're getting it out to Tribble, and they've actually done multiple patches, and there's a lot of changes. So as most of this sort of techie stuff when it comes to... Before we get started, I didn't realize we were doing cross-genres. H- hello, Jabba the Hutt. It's nice to have you with us. Ho, ho, ho. Solo, Ichan Wookie. <laughs> oh, okay. We, there's no Solo or Wookie here. This is, uh, this is Star Trek. Are you Trek. sure? Have you not looked at the character creation in this game? You probably I've create both the of them. I've seen character creation, but there's no such thing as Wookie. Oh, see, there's Studok. He's the Wookie. He's a dog. Well, apparently <laughs> some, no one shaved him recently, so he's a Wookie. <laughs> okay, whatever. But yeah, um, our guess is that it these changes are going to be rolled out next week and um, I, but I'm we have gonna, no definite announcements yet so i will just have that i'm going to i'm going to share why we think this because i know a lot of people are probably watching this especially after this broadcast is like no there's no way there seems to be a pattern with how they've been doing this when they announced the ground they did the announcement for the ground changes within 2 days it was on triple and then within a week of it being on triple it was on holodeck. That was also around the time they launched the arena of Sopek. So from the original original announcement of ground changes to when those changes hit holodeck was about a week and a half. And with the space changes, they announced the changes to space in on Tuesday. And by Wednesday night, Thursday of this week, two days later, those changes were on triple. You know what I'd like to have to have a week in advance notice on? What? Upcoming promotions, like, oh, I don't know, the arena of Sompec and whatever, instead of, like, three days before? Yeah. But going on this pattern, if they're following the same pattern that they did with ground changes, and since they've already done two patches now to Tribble, the guess is that these this will roll out next Thursday. Now, we could be entirely wrong, and it doesn't hit for a couple of weeks. But if they were to follow this and they're, they're talking about how they've been doing all these changes and working on these changes for a while now to bring more balance so there's more fun and there's more options and all this right here, it could very well be that they feel the changes are more or less where they want them to be. And all they're doing is just bug fixes because that's what one of the patches today was for Tribble was just fixing a few things that was off. They didn't right, change well, this- anything really. This is what Blizzard does with Overwatch. When yeah. when something goes live to their PTR, it's usually already ready to go. They're just going to, you know, the only thing that they really need to tweak is major issues that are with whatever they're changing in the game. Yeah, but if we're following what they did with Ground, pretty sure 99% of what we're seeing on Tribble right now is going to hit Holodeck next week. Potentially maybe two weeks from now, because some people are saying because of how the code branch has come out, this could be 12.5. Um, so there, you know, some estimates are all the way in the May, into May. 
But then again, we have been in this season for a while now. I mean, we're only we only have two episodes in the new story arc. The first one of this story arc, Echoes of Light, started, I believe, November of last year, which was five months ago. So it's entirely possible we're going to have a new mission coming up soon. And we've been long enough in 11.5, 12, wherever we're at at this point. I mean, we update all the time anyway. It's entirely possible that they're not planning for this to be 12.5. They're just planning this to be a regular update. And 12.5 is still going to happen a few months from now. There's something else being added. I'd, look, I'd wholly be okay with this being 12.5. I just, I have the suspicion if they are happy with the balance changes to give people more options, which I've been doing tests during the show, and the results have kind of shocked me and in some ways haven't. If they're happy with these changes, yeah, it's going to change things. There's going to be more balance. It's going to lower some things. If they're happy with it, they're not going to really go back because people are QQing all over the forums and Reddit and everywhere else because, oh my god, I lost. This power is useless now. They're going to be like, look, we balanced it, so try something else. That's the whole reason I, we did this. I love I love the fact that you actually started explaining this to us in the Tribble chat on Facebook. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's like sitting here watching you talking about this stuff. It's like, look, my build has become the new meta. Like <laughs> this build that I've always run for forever because that's how I've always operated. This is going to be the new meta, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> well, I mean, it's because of how much things have changed. We'll go over some of the, the notes. Um, but... I mean, it's if they're they're really thinking about leaving it the way it is for balance and player fun and giving players multiple options instead of, well, if you want to have a good build, you have to have this one console and 90% of the builds in the game have that one console. They've done a good job balancing it out. They, I mean, some things I think they lowered a little too much, but if they're happy with it, it could easily show up next week. And if you have access to Tribble... I'd go ahead and start testing it out now because the changes are can can be depending on your build pretty substantial. Now, I didn't know if you wanted to read some of the the notes, Midnight, or if you wanted to go over notes, if you still wanted to go straight into what I've been seeing or what I didn't know. Now, one of the things they announced, as I said, details on space balance changes. So the blog reads as follows: Star Trek Online has been alive for just over seven years at this point during which time we've been adding and updating new content to play, new systems to interact with, and new mechanics to utilise. Recently, we announced balance changes coming to Star Trek Online. Now we're excited to tell you about some of the bigger changes coming to space combat in the game, and some of the reasoning behind them. Given the opportunity to make such, drast to make such drastic changes to Star Trek Online's experience, it was important to set up some guiding principles to ensure that the game, as much as possible, only gets better. The goals boil down to these. Increase the fun. Games are about having fun and players should not be made to feel that their fun is wrong. Player investment ret retains value. While things need to be adjusted, a setup that was optimised before should still be useful and effective afterwards. Choices should be meaningful. Anywhere the game gives you a choice, there should be no choice that always that you always take, 
nor one you never take. Clearly, there are lots of significant mechanical changes that have to happen. To aid in answering questions about these centralized um, and centralize some of the answers, Cryptic Spartan will be holding a mechanics AMA on the forums and on the Stow Builds Reddit. Um, but mostly on the Stow Builds Reddit. In the near future to answer questions about how things now work. Um, actually, I have seen that he tends to put things on to the Tribble patch area before he goes over to Reddit. The problem is, is I don't, I think the Tribble area where he posts things like um, um, the, he's going to say show notes and the release notes, um, that you've got to be logged in for that. So it hasn't just got easy access for people to read. Well, so it's I, not even that. It's not even that. The link that says for the forums is to the academy portion of the forums where anybody can read. Hmm. Well, that should all be in the release notes. So, but yeah, um, at the end of the day, we've had a lot of stuff get put onto Tribble in the last couple of days. So I'm going to hand the floor over to Timberwolf to go through more about what is changing, probably why it's changing, and maybe changes you've got to do with some builds related to those consoles and changes to abilities and powers. Okay, well, I'm going to start off with one or two things that are not in the triple patch notes. And I'm pretty sure we've got the triple patch notes, both the original ones from this week and the ones that came out today. There's two big things that when I read over them, they're not really mentioned in the patch notes and they were changed. And these could change whether you want to use these particular things in the game. Number one, and this was confirmed by Cryptic Spartan, it's not in the pa- it's not in the patch notes, but it was changed on purpose. And that is Plasmonic Leech. That wonderful console everybody has to use. Oh my god, you've got to have a Plasmonic Leech. It's a must-have console. And, you know, at one point in the game, it was 100 million EC on the exchange. Then the Infinity Lockbox came out. I believe the last time I checked on Holodeck, they were 3 million because they're so plentiful. Its whole premise was it was draining a certain amount of power from your target and then giving you that power, a one-to-one ratio. I'll give you an example of what mine was doing. My Leech and my Science Odyssey, with the drain expertise I had in the build, was doing 2.3 all-power drain from the target and giving me 2.3 all-power level to myself. And that was stacking eight times. Now, what is the 2.3? What's that measurement? 2.3 of that of their uh, enemy's power level per stack. So if their power level was 100 of 100 on their weapons, if one stack of leech hit, they went down to 97.7 on the first stack. And then it continues to go down, draining their power and then giving me that extra power. So I'm just siphoning away their power and giving it to myself. So my power levels would rise as theirs fall. A lot of people have been using this console for years now because it it helps draining the enemy's power levels. Reduces their damage output, reduces reduces, their resistance output. Yeah, 
reduces their flight speed and turn rate, and reducing their ox power reduces their healing abilities and their exotic damage abilities if they have them. So you're reducing their effectiveness, allowing them to take more damage, decreasing their defense so you can hit them better, the whole nine yards. When they made this change, they lowered the target drain half of this ability by at least 50%. When I transferred my character over to Tribble, when I looked at the numbers, on the same exact build in space, instead of getting 2.3 all-power level drain from target per stack, I was only getting 1.2 all-power drain from target per stack. Same amount of drain expertise and everything. So the amount of power levels drained from my targets was cut in half. Well, you, 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 but you, you, okay, let's be let's be honest about that. It's kind of silly to be stealing 20, 30 power from the enemy and giving it to yourself in the first place. Oh, I know. But they addressed that too. Because not only did they cut the drain that you're taking away from the target, they put a hard cap in place the amount of power you gain and we've tested this we've tested this it doesn't matter if you have 100 in skill points in drain expertise or 700 in drain expertise does not matter how much you have in the skill if you use a plasmonic leech the amount of power you gain from the plasmonic leech drain is hard capped at 0.75 all power levels, and it can stack eight times. So regardless of how much you stack into Leech now and drain from your target, the most after eight stacks that you are going to get from that target is, if I'm doing the math correctly in my head, plus six all power settings. Now, it used to be if you were building it right and you were doing heavy drain, you could get about plus 30 or plus 40 all power settings on the high end with some of those builds that we're doing on the higher end you'd still be able to get about plus 20 to plus 25 to all of your power levels and drain the same amount from your target now regardless of whatever you drain from the target which is cut in half the most you're going to get out of this is plus six all power that is the absolute max hard capped and when you look at it i can honestly Put a few extra points in engineering to get extra power levels sitting still in my skill tree. I can get more power out of that than I do with a leech. And I can get more out of trying to keep energy siphon on a target than I can that. I mean, there's there's better ways to drain targets down or to give get more damage out of your ship to negate anything that they might, you know, have with that extra power than it is to use the leech. I don't have a problem with this, and I'll explain why. One, it frees up a console. It frees up a console and says anybody who wants to do that drain stuff and add it to themselves now has to click a button instead of it just going off passively. So not only do I have an extra console slot for something completely different, I... I'm now watching people QQ because they have to click a button, which is absolutely hilarious. On the other side, it makes no sense to me, to me, in my head, because, you know, science, that any ability that drains another does not have 
a significant amount of por- a significant portion of that energy end up in the null void. Essentially, you're draining power. It should not be coming to you at a one-one ratio. It should be coming at a significantly less ratio, and a lot of that energy should be being lost in the transfer. And that's exactly what's happening. Because we were testing it, I think the highest I put one of my ships to was 450 drain expertise. So I was getting about 1.9 on my all-power setting. Negative 1.9. And then I was still only getting 0.75. So going on that, you're losing quite a bit of energy in the the, uh, power transfer. Which makes sense. Now, if only that could apply to like other builds where you're not pulling off a, a whole bunch of power from draining another person's power. It's like, there's a reason people don't like using Tycan's Rift. It's because they somehow magically don't have the power. Well, that's kind of the whole point of these powers in the first place. You're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be sucking the power yourself. You're only supposed to see a, you should only see a marginal improvement in your power by draining their power to give to yourself. A lot of that energy should be straight up lost in space. Yeah, and that's exactly what's happening. Now, people might still try to use it because, well, I'm still draining my targets and it's still giving me something. But I am noticing I can do just as well, if not better, without it now. And it's something it it's gonna be a change where a fed tune on the fed side, since it's a lockbox item, that lockbox item is going to get cheap because, you know, with the, if it stays that way, it's it's, it's no longer seventy million EC. It, I don't even think it'll be three million EC in the long run, just because it's not as useful as it was, but it's still plentiful as all get out. You know, you might use it on a budget build because it gets so cheap you can use it on a budget build. Um, or you're just getting used to things, but if you're trying to optimize a build, I, I'm not seeing it being used and I could be wrong. Someone might prove me wrong, but in its current state on triple, I can't see someone still use a leech when they've got better console options out there. That's one of them that they didn't mention. Another one that they didn't mention is the science ultimate. Now we've been... You know, some of us have been using the ultimate trees. I know Sun is completely against this. You know, it's not that it's not that I'm against using the science. Well, you don't, it's you not don't that want to spec too much into trees. one tree. I'm like, I'm like, I am wholly not going to spec into any one tree because it's kind of it's cutting off my build at the knees, and my build is kind of the new meta now. Well, I mean, for me, I've been doing a lot of testing with the tactical ultimate on holodeck, and it, it's working great. I'm doing amazingly well i mean currently my highest pug run is 214k which is you know really good a lot of people use the science ultimate because on holodeck the bonuses that it gives you are pretty damn good but they've changed two of them one of which is in the patch notes one isn't the one they stated in the patch notes is they changed one of its abilities it used to be able to have an add-on that would extend its time from 15 seconds on activation to, th- to 30 seconds. You get twice as much duration out of it. Made it really good. They changed that to, you still have the same duration of 15 seconds, but now it's 50% accuracy and 50% defense bonus. That's a considerable change. What they didn't say in the patch notes was you had probability penetration. 
Now, originally, what would happen was every time you scored a critical hit on a target, you would have a stacking debuff of minus 5% all damage resistance on that target. And it would stack up to five times. So with that ability, it gave you 50% crit chance for the duration. So you were, you're doing a lot of critical hits. A lot of critical hits. So it wouldn't be that hard to get five stacks on a target, have a minus 25% all damage resistance debuff on a target. They changed that to, on outgoing critical hits, gain plus five armor pin, and it stacks five times. So instead of having this really large debuff on targets that you're critically hitting, you're simply gaining a very minor armor pin buff to your weapons. And that's a huge change right there. You're going from, because 25% is a huge reduction. Plus five armor pin stacking up to plus 25 armor pin is not nearly as an equal buff to the original debuff, if that makes sense. You're swinging the pendulum considerably on that one. Um, so it's the ability is only lasting half the time if you fully spec into it, and you're not getting nearly as much potential damage output with the ability now. What remains to be seen is what can be done with it at the high end. If someone can still salvage that build, but eh, you know we they changed um, tactical ultimates got less firing cycle haste and a few other things built into it i think a happy change to the engineering ultimate to make it more useful i can't remember which one they took away but they replaced it with one that when you hit a target with eps corruption the engineering ultimate you are nuking their passive hull regen so they for the duration they have no hull regen whatsoever and you've cut their healing ability by half so there's no passive regen whatsoever on them, and that 10k heal that they could do to themselves, now that at best is 5k. At the very best. That's kind of cool. That definitely helps. It means a target can't recover nearly as quickly. Well, God, those builds better hope to hell they have a whole lot of, of shield healing Yeah, tactical team off of cooldown, because damn. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's, it makes it where you might want to experiment with that. That might be, and I don't play a PvP a lot, but that would be something in PvP I would hate to get hit with. Now I have no passive regen in combat, and my healing has been cut in half? Ouch. It seems like they're really trying to pull the, 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 you know, the, the trinity together somewhat, because normally you see in PvP... The tactical people are the ones who do what's called alpha striking, and if you're mm -hmm. on the Romulan or the Klingon side, you decloak because you've got that buff from decloaking, and then you release an initial volley, and that initial volley is supposed to, if you've got your build set up, do so much damage, it just instantly explodes whatever's in front of you. Well, with some of the new healing abilities and traits that we now have, it's kind of knocked that off. So what you would have, theoretically, is you would have a, an engineering captain who's being attacked by somebody else in PvP, releases that ultimate, and then that tactical captain 
decloaks and does their alpha striking. Yeah. And then suddenly, death. So it, they've changed some interesting things. I mean, in the tactical skill tree, it's in the patch notes, they said that they increased the critical severity of your weapons by a factor of two in the skill tree. Instead of getting 20%, if you fully spec into it, you get 40%. So that's twice the boost you had before. But they cut the critical chance that you can get in the skill tree from 6% to 4%. So they have a balance there. A little less chance to get it, but if you do get it, it's going to hit even harder. So some of the things have changed a little bit. Um, there are a couple that a lot of people are upset about, and I mean upset to the point they are cussing in chat channels, they're pissed off on Reddit, they're holding back a rage as old as time where they just want to cuss out the devs. So let's cover those, because I've tested those and I have the parses to prove it from Tribble. Number one, hot topic button, plasma explosion consoles. Okay, now these have been under fire for a while now. When they first came out, it was a damage over time effect. And the whole premise when they first started messing with them is, well, they're doing too much damage, so let's make them an explosion. Well, then they ended up doing even more damage, and then they cut the damage, and they boost the damage. And, you know, they've been, they've been messing with these for a while. All in the sense of balance, especially after the Crinum Lab consoles came out. They want you to have options, just like this blog said. And for the past few years, Romulan Embassy Plasma Explosion Consoles have been one of those you have to have it. If you want to have a high damage build, you have to have it. No questions asked. You have to have these consoles. As many of them as you can have. So if you can fill up three, four science console slots with these particular consoles... You're going to do a lot better than if you didn't have them kind of deal. So I'm going to use the holodeck example right now. On holodeck, my Odyssey class that has these equipped with no buffs whatsoever, no boosts, nothing. It says on the tooltip that they're doing 4,338 damage of plasma when they hit. That's just a static number. When you told me about this earlier, I was just like, wow. Yeah. Oh, I've got test results that'll mind numb you here in a minute. Yeah, the so so the that's the number from Holodeck. The number I told Stewdog on Tribble, the same exact console, which is a Mark fourteen Epic, maxed out. The same exact console on Tribble is showing that same tooltip number as eight hundred and sixty-seven. So they really did mean a seventy-five percent damage reduction of the plasma explosions. The other change that they made is right now on Holodeck, Plasma Explosions are a per-shot proc. So when you activate your weapon, let's use a beam array, on a normal firing cycle, it fires four shots per cycle. Each shot in the cycle has a chance to proc a Plasma Explosion. They've changed that to a per-cycle proc. So if the cycle starts and you don't proc one, you're not going to have a chance to proc a plasma explosion until the next cycle, significantly reducing the chance that you can have plasma explosions occur on a target. The third change they made to them was that they do not ignore shields anymore. 
On holodeck, you have a nice little tooltip, ignores shields. That's one of the things that made these things great, is it's direct to hull damage, which science-wise, if you think about it, how is it that this plasma explosion is bypassing shields? If you think about it from real science, you're kind of like, eh. But it made them a go-to console. Now on, on Tribble, that particular tooltip has been removed because they do not ignore shields. So let's say you're fighting a tactical cube with heavy shields. That plasma explosion procs on your fire cycle. The plasma explosion is going to hit the shields first and will only hit the hull if the shields are down. So they've reduced the damage. They've lessened the chance that it can go off because it's not per shot, it's per cycle, and it doesn't ignore shields. So a plasma explosion can just get wasted away on shields and absorbed. They can still get boosted by damage boosts and all this, attack pattern alpha and all that, but they're significantly, significantly less powerful. I just, I just, right now, I imagine some elite super DPS or that, that is on a podcast, like standing up and putting on a red hat and saying, make the Romulans great again. Just, I can, I can picture it in my head. Just the elite DPSers going complete and utter nutball about this. Well, I'll give you an example and it's going to take me a while. Let me get everything set up so that I can give you the numbers changes because the good thing about all of this is a lot of people have been on triple recently. So what's been helpful is because of that many people being on, it's not that hard to get a pug run, which is a pug run for those of you that are not if used to that. It. Yeah. Pug is this runs going to be one runs of these are, moments where oh God, um, yeah. Everybody's going like, to cry. Timberwolf reporting live from the Tribble server. Oh yeah, well the Tribble I, I can't access it right now. Apparently there's problems. Went down for me uh, at least. But it's okay, I've already broken it enough. So <laughs> I, I would in the middle of all this math while you're while you're doing, I want to point out something like massively fantastic. Two things. The the gravity well has had its damage reduced. But not by much. But but to compensate for this, the number of targets a gravity well can capture has now been capped to 25. Let that, let, let that sink in just a little bit. The maximum number of control targets you can have in a gravity well at any given time is now 25. Now, that's gravity well. The other interesting change for me, uh, because this goes back to my Romulan Tetrion build, the gravimetric torpedo... From the the um, the Voth stuff, the gravimetric torpedo now will always proc a single grav well each shot. So and that is a good change. If you're using the grav, if you're using the gravimetric torpedo, it will always produce one, uh, at least one well. If you're using spread, it will can it will it will produce more but it's usually going to be per three or four torpedoes depending on what version of spread you're using it's it's going to be the guaranteed amount now it could proc even more which means it's the return of the yo-yo that's the that that's literally how i killed stuff with that build the tetrions 
strip their shielding, especially because I was using the destabilized tetrions that caused the shield plasma fire, essentially. So it was a damage over time to shields. And then I would use Singularity Jump as a as a small version of Gravity Well. And while all of the ships were caught in this Gravity Well, guess what comes out of my rear end? Excuse me? Torpedo Spread 3 of Gravimetric Torpedo. And now all of these ships are not only having damage done to them because of the torpedo itself, the Gravimetric Torpedoes are doing damage to them. And that damage is stacking because there are multiples of them. And because there are multiples of them, the ships themselves are yo-yoing between each and every single grav well, taking damage as they go. That's how I killed stuff. It's viable again. Well, I've got everything ready. So, Stu, are you ready to, to have... Do you have your pen and paper ready? Oh, Stu. I do, sir. I actually do have a notepad right next to me. Up, oh, see? Okay. So, first I'm going to give you the numbers from one of my best parses in a pug run, which we were describing. A pug run is you're just queuing up its random teammates, so really you only have control of what you're doing. For anyone who's not sure on abbreviations, pug is a pickup group. Yep. So, pickup group. I did 214k in my science odyssey. Two minutes, ten second run. Really good run. Loved the run. I'm going to throw some numbers at you, and I want you to hold on to these numbers because we're going to just, I'm going to reference these numbers each time. Plasma explosions in this run did 38.9K over the course of the run. Okay. Okay. Write down feedback pulse 2 plasma, 29K. And then write down entropic rider, 11K. So you've got those three numbers. Yeah, so we've got 38, 29, and 11. Okay, and you've written what they are, because I'm about to uh I'm about to make you cry, sir. Yep, they're noted down. Okay. So let me make for sure I've got the right parts in front of me. Yep, that's the one right there. Okay, so I took the exact same build, went into a pug run, happened to run into a friend of mine who was also testing over there. Um, Martin, he runs Dragon Slayer. We did a pickup run. The exact same build over on Triple with the new changes did 80.4K, and it was the highest one in the run. And the run was 2 minutes, 10 seconds. Now so we're that's exactly the same length of time. Same exact length of time, the exact same build. It's a feedback pulse tank, which a lot of the high end is running right now. And I can get over 200K in a pickup group on... Triple, 80.4. Now, here's the numbers you want to compare. Feedback Pulse 2, Plasma, 2.9K. And yes, I had the threat. I had more than 51% of the attacks hitting me. I had all the threat, so exact same setup. 2.9K out of Feedback Pulse. So what kind of a loss are you just seeing just from Feedback Pulse, which was nerfed? We'll talk about that here in a minute. Yeah, so it's now doing 10% of what it was. Okay. Then your plasma explosion number for this same build, 883 DPS. That's um, 
Hold on, I need to do a couple of sums here, but yeah. That's, <laughs> we were almost that's, at 39k at the high-end run, and, and now like, we're less than 1k. You know, about a 40th of what it was doing. <laughs> Entropic Rider, which is the Temporal Operative Specialization Physical Damage Over Time ability that it's added to your weapons. Entropic Rider is doing 1k. Yeah, so that's a tenth of what it was doing before. Okay, so, so instantly you can see plasma explosions have dropped to next to nothing. And if this is intended to make people force people, because like I said, I have this thing in the suspicion they want people away from these consoles they've been stuck on for years and years. This is a good way to force them from it because I can find consoles that do better than that. Now, there's no better console for keeping threat if you want to still be a tank build and you want to have all the threat and people are hitting you and you get the most out of abilities where you get hit. But if you're just trying to run these builds, you're, you're getting a huge loss running these plasma explosions. Now just going to cut in with something here. Um, this could be a little bit of a lower explanation behind it. And I think Sunseal would appreciate this one. You know, that dodgy factory that that Ferengi lad's got that's full of like half empty crates and stuff that's not working <laughs> properly. He started building them, eh? And they've just became really shoddy. There you go. So there's so the that. Science consoles at the embassy are actually built and sold by Madron to the embassy that sells them to us. At this yep. point, yes. See, that only, that only makes the elitists want to kill him more. Well, like I said, we're going from almost just on my run. 39k to less than 1k is a 38.9 to 883 it is a humongous loss so yeah i can think of plenty of consoles where i can just make my weapons do more damage by themselves or add in other abilities now that's the first one let's do entropic rider we went from just around 11k to 1k now it's a good ability the physical damage over time proc that gets added to your weapons if you're running temporal operative as one of your specializations so it's nice it ignores shields it's a beautiful thing the big thing that was changed with this that we saw in the patch is just like plasma explosions instead of it being a per shot cycle it's now per, i mean instead of per shot it's per cycle instead of having a chance every time you fire a beam out you have a chance to proc it. Now it's every time the firing cycle starts, you have a chance to proc it. So there's a lot less chance of it happening. And one of the things that's built into that little tree on Tempops is when Entropic Rider procs or any other damage over time effect procs, you get a minus 10 all damage debuff on the target. So you're getting that damage debuff that damage resistance debuff on the target a lot less as well so that's a nice little nugget of joy thirdly feedback pulse now this is something that a lot of people at the high end when you're you're talking about 200k plus a lot of people are using feedback pulse because of all the mechanics that interact with it you've got romulan singularity you've got attack pattern alpha improved feedback pulse and all these other damage bonuses and exotic damage batteries and there's so much that can get into it the highest damage we've ever seen it pop out as a max one hit is over 14 million damage on a max one hit 
a... And that was to the crystalline entity itself from the crystalline nope. entity explosion, wasn't it? No, this particular hit was in a HSC, a Hive Space Elite. The those, Lance. The Lance. Well, the oh Lance. Oh my god, the Lance. The Lance did a critical hit on the target. Holy crap. It did a critical hit. Well, with all the boosts and damage buffs and everything else on the feedback pulse at the time, not only was it reflected for higher damage, but the feedback pulse of the Lance critically hit. So it spiked exponentially. And the lance, ah! the, the lance was feedback pulsed, and the thing disappeared, and it was a humongous <laughs> amount of damage. So we we know what we can spike this thing up to if we want to, and we saw in my build I was doing about almost thirty k alone from feedback pulse. You start getting higher and higher on the damage parse, you're seeing fifty, sixty k damage over you know damage per second out of feedback pulse because you can boost the hell out of it. Well, now it doesn't have a critical hit chance. And since it doesn't have a critical hit chance, it has no critical severity. But will only reflect a percentage of the damage that hits it. And right now, Feedback Pulse 1 has a maximum cap of 50% that it will reflect. Feedback Pulse 2 has a maximum cap of 75%. And Feedback Pulse 3 is 100%. So if you want a 1 to 1 ratio, you've got to have a ship with a Commander Science for Feedback Pulse 3. So it doesn't have a critical hit, therefore no critical severity, which means Particle Manipulator, which was a must-have space trait, and Particle Manipulator you got from getting your Science R&D to level 15. It gave all your exotic abilities, depending on how much particle exotic particle generator skill you had, up to 50% crit chance, and then it would give additional crit severity to your exotic damage. This no longer affects it. Any console that has a plus exotic damage boost on it, if it's worded exotic damage, no longer boosts feedback pulse. Attack pattern alpha as an all damage no longer boosts it. The only thing that boosts the, the feedback pulse damage is having skill points in exotic particle generator skill. Only having points in that skill from your skill tree will increase the damage that it can reflect. And that's it. And, and of course, enhanced feedback pulse, right? It'll give you a little bit from there. But, I mean, you, you see the difference in the numbers. It's yeah. one-tenth of what it used to do. So if you're wanting to use feedback pulse with improved feedback pulse for the critical hit chance and critical hit severity it can give your weapons while you're getting hit, then good, you're boosting your weapons. If you're using it for feedback pulse damage, I'm sorry, you're not going to get nearly as much as what you used to. You're going to laugh at what you're going to get out of it because it, it's nowhere near worth it. Um, See, and that's the, that's the thing. People were People who are using feedback pulse are using it as a way to deal damage, and that's not the way it should be used in the first place. Yeah, they were feedback. using it as an offensive weapon. Feedback pulse is a reflect. It is to get damage off of you. 
I mean, yeah, sure. You're, you're, you, the whole the whole thing you call it, you know, the the elitists call it a a, a feedback pulse tank. Yeah, but you're forgetting the tank part. See, the whole part of feedback pulse is you're supposed to be squishy. And the feedback pulse is supposed to reflect the damage being done at you so you can survive, not so you can just totally obliterate the enemy. Well, they've put it they put it down enough where it's simply a reflect. So if you were if you were trying to use feedback pulse as a heavy damage option to augment your build, it's not going to be nearly as viable as it used to be. Because, like I said, even if you put a lot into exotic particle generator skill, it still has a cap. So at Feedback Pulse 2, you got 75%. If your target hits you with, you know, 100,000 damage, at best, it will reflect 75,000. At best. Um, so don't expect a whole lot out of it. I mean, it's it's really not. The max one hit from the new feedback pulse run was twenty k, so it's really not doing a whole lot. It 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 was just it was kind of laughable. But these are three things that a lot of high end builds, hell, even some budget builds are trying to use. A lot of budget builds are trying to use temporal operative now because it has a lot of bonuses. There's a few other things that have changed to make temporal operative a little less go-to, so you want to experiment with other things. But these kind of changes, if they hold as is, if they hold as is, plasma explosions, I'd start experimenting. Maybe you want to keep them on there because maybe they boost, they'll get you know boosted by cryptic later. You might want to experiment with taking one or two off and putting on some other consoles. Start experimenting with your build. Um, and, you know, if you're relying heavily on Entropic Rider and a few bonuses from Temporal Operative, maybe switch to a different specialization. Feedback Pulse, unless you're really trying to get the most out of it on a science-based ship, like I'd say the Vesta, where you can actually get a Feedback Pulse 3 and fully reflect whatever you're getting hit with, you're not going to get a whole lot from it. You're not. It's just... It's one of those things. They've rebalanced it completely to where it's not going to be, oh, well, I'm doing 100,000 damage with my beam, and I'm also doing 100,000 damage with Feedback Pulse. So there's that. But wait, there's more. I feel like Ron Popeil selling those steak knives. <laughs> um, one thing that I, I've heard a lot about, I've heard a lot about, the change to a Starship trait a specialization ability, and go down fighting. Now, it's in the patch notes right now that if you have Invincible or you have Continent, which Invincible is the Zal Heavy Cruiser Starship trait from the Lobby store. The whole premise behind that, it makes you unkillable for 8 seconds if you drop below 5% hull. You're unkillable for 8 seconds, and it gives you a 50% hull and shield healing boost so basically oh i'm about to die let me supercharge my healing while i'm unkillable to save me at the high end this was the perfect trait that the moment you got down to zero percent hull you activated go down fighting for the maximum amount of damage boost then you healed up so you'd still have that damage boost but now you've survived kind of deal same with cotton in continuity was another way where you wouldn't die you'd drop below 10 percent hull at backstep you it would heal you 
this sounds like some dodgy firework to me. Yeah, but it was it was all about you know survival. They have it in the patch notes where you cannot use go down fighting during invincible or during continuity, which makes sense. They want to get get away from okay, well I'm safe, so I can activate all these damage boosts and go down fighting. Which when you think go down fighting, you're risking you're going down fighting to boost your damage kind of deal. Like you're risking it all and you're going to go down fighting. If you win, Hey, cool. If not, well, you went down swinging, but that wasn't the only thing they changed to it. Not only can you not activate, go down fighting during these two abilities. Those abilities won't activate. If you have go down fighting already going. No, it's a little worse than that. Okay. What would be worse? You can't activate – if you have continuity and or invincible in your build, you will not be allowed to activate go-down fighting until after they have gone off and they're now on lockdown. So in testing, I had invincible on my build. I went to 48% hull. You can activate go-down fighting at right below 50%. Because that's the whole trick about it. You get below 50%, you activate go down fighting. I could not activate it. It says in the tooltip that you can't activate this if you have something that will save you from death available. So in, if I have Invincible in my build, and this is regardless of a trait I'm going to state in a minute. Regardless of whatever you have, you can't activate go down fighting until Invincible has gone through its full eight seconds and then is on its lockdown period where it's on well, cooldown. That's, yeah, that's what I said. They're keeping the trait from firing off if you have go down fighting available. That's that's the only way they're going to be able to do that. They're they're keeping you they're keeping you have to have you one from or the activating other. it after the skill the skill procs, and they're keeping you from activating it before the skill procs as well. Well, the whole thing with Invincible, if you're at 0% health when that thing goes off, when that Invincible goes off, you're going to die. So you're you're taking a huge risk there. Um, the trade I was talking about was it's called A Good Day to Die. This came out recently, and it allows you to activate Go Down Fighting whenever you want. You can activate it at full health. That will not bypass this lockout. You will still have to wait until Invincible and or uh, continuity are both on their lockout cooldown period. So if you're wanting to be a tactical tune and you want to get go down fighting at let's say 30% hull and then heal up because you want to play it safe, you cannot have invincible on your build because you won't be able to control it until after it's off cooldown. It's either that or you have invincible and in continuity for survival purposes, and you just go through a run and you never get a chance to activate your go-down fighting. Ever. You're going to have to make that choice on a tactical tune. Um, on the flip side, they're still really good for engineers and science tunes because they don't have to worry about that. But for tactical tunes, you have to make the choice if you want that one ability from Temporal Operative, which is continuity, or if you want the Starship trait Invincible. From the Zal Heavy Cruiser. You're going to have to make that choice. Do you risk, after Invincible's done, try to get the lowest GDF possible before you heal up and risk dying from a critical hit? Or do you just go back to old school mechanics from before that trait went, uh, came out in the first place 
and just get it at the lowest possible point you feel safe at and then heal up quickly. That's going to have to be your choice. So that, with all of that being said, it changes a lot of things at the high end that people have gotten used to. There's going to be a lot of reworks. I've worked on one. I've got a build currently I'm kind of theory testing my tactical tune that is doing 20k output better than the feedback pulse tank because I've gone ahead and I've started to just go back to the basics and get rid of plasma explosions and all this and try to theory craft. So I'm starting to get a, I'm start, trying to get ahead where I can at least do 100k or more. But if these changes stay, rough ride for tacticals. You're going to make some choices. Engineers, though? Oh, engineers, I'm envious. I'm so envious. First off, Miracle Worker's gotten boosted significantly. It's almost, from what I saw, it was almost double the heal that it used to do. And it gives you secondary shields now. Yes, I saw that. So it's a, it's even better. And if you're running Grace Under Fire and somehow they get through those secondary shields that heal, guess what? You can pop it again. So it's, a, it's a huge boost for their survival. Almost to the point, pretty much, you can run one le- one or two less heals in your build because of what it's doing now. Cause so wait, that kind you're of saying engineers now have tank survivability? What? Just about. Because they also boosted rotate shield frequency, um, which is a shield heal and resistance boost. And then EPS power transfer has a nice little interaction where they added that not only does it boost your power levels and power transfer rate for your emergency power to various abilities, it now gives you a max power level. Like right now, if you're just static, your max power level hits 125 and it's supposed to stop right there. And then you have abilities like override subsystem safeties in your intelligence training that'll raise the maximum power cap so you can have even higher power levels. They've added this mechanic to EPS power transfer. So if you already are close to 125 on your weapons, you're near the cap. When you activate this, you'll go even higher than 125. You'll go to 130. I think it's plus five, plus five on your max power level. I haven't looked at it just yet. But the interesting thing is they say that this stacks with other abilities that raises your maximum power level. So the interesting uh, connection that a lot of testers are doing is EPS power transfer and override subsystem safeties together. Because if you run override subsystem safeties three, it raises the max power level cap by 40. Well, you activate that at the same time, you've just boosted your powers to where pretty much all of them, between the two of them, are sitting at 165. And then as override subsystem safeties um, does its cycle, it slowly lowers, but you've guaranteed max 165 for a few seconds before it starts lowering. But interesting interactions on engineers. They've gotten a boost. They have gotten a boost, and some of the new starship traits and uh, space traits like that have they, come out. It's almost like oh. they needed this kind of thing. It's definitely going to boost them, and the fact that they don't have to worry about a go-down fighting or any of this, they would get more use out of you running the invincible trait from the Zal to where they won't die or have less chance of dying. So it's you know they've got a boost on their survival, meaning they can focus a little bit more on damage output, which is a good thing. Science captains. I love what they did with science captains. 
They got rid of subnucleonic beam and made it a bridge officer ability. I'm okay with this. Because when they did that, they also made it where not only are, are you doing everything that subnuke used to do, removing buffs and increasing the recharge rate of abilities, it now removes firing cycle haste. Because every one of the things that everybody loves to do for their builds is increase the firing cycle haste, increase the speed in which you're firing a weapon. Subnucleonic beam as a bridge officer power will decrease your firing cycle haste if you're hit with it. Which, if I remember, the the numbers I was seeing was like 33% or 40% reduction in firing cycle haste. So it's bad enough you're losing your buffs and your bridge officer abilities have a longer cooldown. Now you're firing your weapons a lot slower. And that would be a PvP nightmare. Considering it's a bridge officer power, anybody can have it now. That's a that, that could potentially be a PvP nightmare. What they replaced it with instead for science captains is what I'm considering the science version of Attack Pattern Alpha. They replaced it with the Deflector Overcharge. And it's boosting shield healing, it's boosting exotic particle generator skill, it's boosting control expertise skill, and drain expertise skill. So if you're running a science captain and you're doing a lot of science damage, this is your science version of Attack Pattern Alpha. It's boosting everything you'd want to do. Drain the target, control the target, nuke them with exotic particles. I welcome that. I've seen on some of the, the posts about it they, that a lot of players feel it needs to be increased for what it does. But the fact that they've even got this is nice. So it's going to be one of those things. You're going to have to look at these abilities that are coming out because they have been radically altered. Radically altered. Um, Fire at Will has been a heavy contention on the forums as well. They changed the nature of how Beam Fire at Will works. It used to be you just, you know, you put on Fire at Will and you win. That was pretty much the, the sentiment. I think me, Stu Dog, and Sun and Midnight have all joked in our chat about how, you know, oh, just put Beam Fire at Will on it. You'll win. A couple of my friends, you know, think that, you know, we've, we've got that way as well. With the changes they've made on Tribble, I think it's been put on par with everything else. And I'll, I'll tell you why. What we're seeing on Tribble is every rank of Fire at Will has an accuracy debuff and has a damage, uh, lower damage output. So let's say you have limited tactical slots and you only can have Beam Fire at Will 1. It'll say on the tooltip now that beam, with Beam Fire at Will 1, your energy weapons will now do 80% of their base damage. So if their base damage was 1,000 per hit, they're only going to do 800 per hit. Just using base damage as an example. They also have 50% reduced accuracy. And one of the key things about Fire at Will is the moment you did Fire at Will, your weapons were automatically set to 100% accuracy. Well, just at rank 1, you've lost half of your accuracy. Beam Fire at Will 2 is 85% of base damage, and you lose 40% accuracy. Beam Fire at Will 3 is 90% of base damage with a 30% loss in accuracy. So you're losing accuracy and damage output based on which one you're using. But I have noticed that using Beamfire at Will 3, and I have points and accuracy in my skill tree, or potentially 
an ability, let's say a starship trait, like predictive algorithms from your intelligence specialization. Between all of that, having all that bonus accuracy, I can make up for it. So I can actually make up for some of the accuracy loss and still hit my targets a good chunk of the time. Because even with the changes that I have, I've still got a great hit rate. I'm still getting over 93% hit rating on Tribble. So you can make up for it. Not as bad of a loss as you think. You just have to change how you spec your build. You're going to have to make sure you got some accuracy in there. Um, epicing out weapons, getting an epic modifier on your weapon with that accuracy slash damage. You might want to start epicing... Getting an epic modifier. God. Been up long. Yeah. You're going to want that epic modifier on the weapons now because it's going to have some accuracy on that weapon to help negate it some. Not much, but it's going to help. It's just those things right there. Like, what worked will still work. But depending on how you build your, your ship going forward, if Tribble becomes reality, you're going to have to rethink some builds on the server. I like that they fixed Tycan's Rift, too. Oh, God, yeah. But it's it's a good read, all these, pat, all these patch notes they have. Um, like, Tactical Fleet got a boost. It used to do 37.5% all damage. Now it's plus 40% all damage. Um, and they've added in plus 40 weapon, weapon amplification and plus 40 weapon specialization, which those are two skill tree abilities that add crit chance and crit severity to your weapons. So now it gives you extra crit chance and crit severity on your weapons and slightly higher damage while it's activated. That's been boosted. I just hate that Hazard Emitters now claims damage over time effects. Yeah. Like I said, if you... Like- if the whole point of the destabilizing tetrions is that they called a, uh, that they that they created a shield plasma fire that was damage over time. Yeah. Well, hazard emitters now gets rid of that, but you would think hazard emitters would only work on the hull of a ship, not the shields. Hey, it's how they want it. <sighs> Suffice to say, like I said, I'm working on some theory crafting with a few of my friends. We're trying to. Go ahead and prepare, just in case this is what's going live. So we're we're getting stuff ready, and we're trying to stay ahead of the curve. So far, I've got something that I think is going to work. I've just got to fine-tune it. But suffice to say, you're not going to see, more than likely, if this goes live, you're not going to see people doing 150, 175, 200k... 300k. You're not going to see these insane numbers. We're not going to see 30 second crystalline entity runs where you just spawn into the map and suddenly the entity's already exploding. It's a possibility. I mean, you're not you're not going to see insane numbers anymore. At least not from some abilities. I mean, you're not going to see insane numbers from plasma explosions and feedback pulse and fire at will and a couple other abilities. You're not going to see the insane numbers. You'll still see high numbers. I mean, I guarantee you, you'll be able to get a hundred. K damage output in an infected space run. And you might still be able to nuke that crystalline down with a lot of exotic powers, because that's one of the main ways they kill crystalline entity nowadays anyway, is just stacking exotic damage abilities on on the damn thing. So you might still be able to kill it, but with a lot of things, you're not going to see as high a damage output as you're used to in the current 
um, holodeck server. One of the one of the guys that was in one of my uh, triple runs, he says his build on average does 80k on holodeck. It's only doing 36 on triple. So there there have been balances to reduce everything, and I do think one of the reasons they did this with the amount of damage output there is in the game right now on holodeck, sheer amount of damage that's done. A lot of elite content for a lot of high-end players, it's nothing to them. They can simply nuke through content. I'll get to Alex's comment here in a minute. Um, but you, you just, you know, like Zenkethi Front, where they've got heavy shields. Well, all the shield bypass abilities and plasma explosions and all that on Holodeck, you can bypass all that, nuke through it, and the high-end players are going, eh, no challenge. They can just nuke through a Hive Space Elite in two minutes or less because they've got that level of damage output. And I honestly think the reason they did this was instead of introducing harder content and doing a fourth a fourth difficulty level that's even harder than anything else or revamping Elite, what I think the purpose of it was it was to lower everything and give it more of a balance so that advanced content is harder by perspective, and then elite content is also a lot harder for that per- same perspective. So yeah, you still got the same gear, but it's not going to hit as hard. So you can't walk through the content the same way. And I think that was the same. That that was the thinking. They didn't. They weren't nerfing people and their abilities and getting rid of stuff like that because they um, they wanted to do things. Oh, I just want to nerf your gear. I think they balanced it so they don't have to introduce even harder content that's a challenge. If they lower the, the ability's effectiveness on multiple things and then make you theorycraft other ways, the content's harder just by default. If plasma explosions are taking a severe enough hit like we're seeing just from my parses that I've been doing on Tribble, they're taking that much of a hit and they're not bypassing shields, well, now you can't nuke through the target. You're going to have a lot tougher time with that same target killing it, making the content more difficult by perspective. I think that's why they did it. I really do. Um, Let's see here. And I've got questions here. Thank you for linking them in here because I've been having some internet issues. Um, Alex, I'm not sure about the budget builds, honestly. I'm going to – because there's not a good uh, pickup group sampling on Tribble. I won't know until these changes go to holodeck, but I'm already with what I'm seeing at the high end. I'm already reworking them because um, that was a plan anyway for this year was hopefully by summer to revamp my entire budget build setup that I have for Federation and KDF. And this definitely will change how budget builds are done, at least for my channel. So I'm not sure. So uh, TNG budget builds the next generation. Yeah, but we're, they're going to have to be revamped because of the changes. Quite honestly, they could do less. I mean, right now, what was it? A free sovereign that you get from leveling, just leveling up your tune. I was able to get it to 40k with a budget build that was purely mission rewards, and that's with all the mechanics in the game. There is a very good chance that if all these changes go to holodeck... That effectiveness could go down by 50%, and budget builds could be hitting for 20 to 25k, 
And you know that's going to be good in the new setup if it's a struggle to get to 130k for the high end. So we're, it's going to have to wait and see until we can get good um, pickup groups on holodeck just to see their effectiveness. Because I want to make for sure if I'm running a budget build, it works good enough in a random pickup group. Because if it does there, I know it'll work even better in a pre-made group of my friends. We'll just have to wait and see on that one. And Lucusi? Lucisi? Lucesi. 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 Ah, the mother of dragons. Okay. Kalima! Do I believe the success in battle zones will be unaffected by the changes? Well, typically in battle zones... They build the content in there around normal difficulty because battle zones are for everyone. So they're not meant to be exceptionally challenging. It's just meant to be that you're in, supposed to be in there with a group of people. You know, that's complete, even though it's completely random, a lot of the times you can complete it and get the rewards. And that goes for. Um, Undine Space Battle Zone that goes for the Badlands and that goes for Zenkethi Front. But they set them all to normal difficulty because they want everybody fighting at the same level and everybody have a shot. Because if they put the Battle Zones at advanced or elite difficulties, you'd see a lot of failure there because not everybody's building for max damage and you know DPS and all of this. So in that regard... It'll change a little bit because people won't have as much potential damage from their builds, but I don't think it's going to affect it too much. I mean, we're going on normal difficulty. Normal difficulty is supposed to be an easy difficulty that everybody can enjoy, everybody can get through, and it's about learning mechanics anyway. If you're doing a normal, you're trying to learn mechanics. I don't see it changing a whole lot. It's just going to take a little bit longer to get through some of it because there's less damage potential and people are trying to also worry about survival because they can't nuke through the target. They have to be in that combat longer. They have to survive longer. But I don't think it's going to change too much. It, the, the big changes you're going to see is if you run advanced difficulty or elite difficulty in your um, story missions, in foundry missions, or the PVEQs. That's where you'll see the big changes when it comes to uh, success, if you will. But suffice to say, if you can get over to Triple, Triple, if you can, I would go over there and start testing. I'm gonna. I've got a few things recorded for these ISA runs that I just did. I actually have them recorded. I have the parses here that I can upload with them, and I'm gonna do a basic description like I did here in these videos and post them in the next few weeks. Just in case these are final and they get released in the next week or two, you have an idea what we're looking at. Might as well be prepared now because, I mean, me and Stu Dog have been talking about it. If it does come out, people have only had a week to get ready for it, and then it's there, and you have to deal with it. So I'd rather be safe than sorry and just be ready for it and get as much info as I can out before it launches because it will yeah. throw people for a loop. Like you were saying before, judging by the previous rollout of the ground stuff, I would expect this to be live by the time we're talking next week. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I could be wrong because a lot more people play space combat than they do ground combat. 
But at the same time, it all depends on whether they're happy with it or not, whether they're just like, all right, well, it's ready now. We like the balance at the office, and if we like the balance, it's going out. So that's up to the the system coders and the producers and all that. If they think it's ready, they like it, we could easily see it next week. If they don't like it, then it could wait. But the big thing for this is they're not going to look at a lot of complaining and whining from the forums based off of damage output numbers because they could care less about that. They say it in their own blog. This is about rebalancing and making it more fun for everyone. They're worried about the fun factor and rebalancing. So in that regards, damage output numbers don't matter to them. If it hurts someone that's doing higher damage, it doesn't matter. They don't care. But if it helps people explore different options in their starship builds, experiment with different space sets and different weapons and you know, just a lot more options of builds that still work, and they see that that's what's going to happen, they'll roll it out as quick as they want to. Well, back to what you were saying about um, if it hurts people at the higher end of the scale, what we're seeing at the moment is that what people at the higher end of the scale are doing is hurting people at the lower end of the scale. Yeah. I've seen quite a few people who... They don't even bother entering queues anymore because they are of the opinion that by the time they get anywhere near a bad guy to shoot at them, it'll all be over because oh, absolutely, has already came along with a build that's doing a silly amount of damage and just insta-vaped everything. So then they're getting hit by a penalty because they haven't done enough damage because they couldn't even get to someone to shoot at them. Yeah, uh, I've actually had to uh, apologize to people when I was doing my testing on Holodeck a few months back. Like when I got that 214k parse, um, if a teammate, I believe the number is 2%, if they're doing 2% yep. of the team damage or less, it pops them on, I believe, a one-hour AFK penalty because the game yes. sees it as they were AFK. I've actually had to send a few apologies out to players and be like, look, I'm sorry I gave you that penalty. I was merely testing something. Um, I'm really sorry about that. And I think all but one time was someone was like, it's okay. I've already run into this 12 times, but at least you were the first one to apologize to me for it. You were just doing it for testing purposes. Um, but it is running into that. Once you get to – you're doing that level of damage and you're doing a pickup group. There is a very good chance if you're doing 200k or more, you're going to give a one-hour AFK penalty to at least one player in that group. Maybe two. It depends on what you're doing. Um, and that means a lot of players that are just doing this for fun and all that, they're not able to play content. Now, I'm on the fence on that one a little bit, Stu. I'm a little bit more towards, like, I'm sorry about it. But at the same time, if you're doing advanced... Advanced is a certain difficulty. Well, no, it's not need to get good because I'm I'm not really fond of that terminology. I mean, oh, same here. The the well, way um, I the way I put it is help if you're an advanced. Out. Yeah, if you're an advanced difficulty, you're wanting to run that. Okay, you need to know the basics of the run already, and you do have to do a certain level of damage to help get the run completed. 
before the timers are up, before the optionals, because the optionals do affect the rewards you get. And then some of them are mandatories, and if you don't get them done, you fail the run. So if you don't have enough damage output in your build and, you know, all of that, and you don't know the mechanics, well, okay, then, you know, you're, you're above your league. Now, with Infected Space Advanced, and I'll use that as an example, it's been out for frickin' ever. The only reason you wouldn't know it is if you were new to the game. But, you know, the the minimum you need for that run is, what, 15k damage output per second. You're doing 15,000 points of damage every second to any and all available targets. Um, and that's to make for sure that you are um, being cooperative in the run, you're, um, damn it, I'm, I've lost my thought for words here for a moment. Um, but contributing, yeah. you're contributing to the yes. run. So it's a minimum of f- around 15 K. That is a general consensus. If you're in an advanced run, you're contributing to the run. Not that hard with all the power creep in the game, but there are still some people that don't do that level of damage output. And, you know, there might even be some that they know they don't have that level of damage output. They simply go in because they know they can get the advanced. They need the advanced gear, you know, the gear drops or the R&D boxes. Um, and, you know, that's what you want to do. But, it, you know, you used to be able to do that and not get the AFK penalty. Right now on Holodeck, you do that. And instead of being able to do two runs in an hour, you're only able to do one because then you get knocked out for an hour. So... It really is not worth it anymore. That's the, that's the drawback there. But with these new changes, you're not going to see these AFK penalties a lot. I don't think anyway, because you won't see the insane amount of damage that people are doing. You won't go into a pug run and see someone like me doing over 200k, and you're only doing seven, and now you've got an AFK penalty for an hour. Or you go in and someone does 350k, and they're there and all but themselves have an afk penalty because they were the only ones that hit any of the targets so hopefully there's a lot less afk penalties if this goes live yeah i mean um one of the ones that i can think of and i don't get hit often by an afk penalty but it was the other day i was rolling the breach and someone had just shot down the trench zipped up the other side shot out the door and I didn't even get the option to rally at the, the door point. And by the time I did and got inside, all the ships inside had been taken out. The secondary core had been taken out. And the guy was wailing on the main core. And when I got to the main core, it was it was gone. You know, it's like, okay, I only got the chance to shoot at a couple of hard points. And uh, I'd been landed in the AFK penalty because... Um, someone in a scimitar is really good <laughs> yeah i mean I, I wouldn't say yeah, that the, I'm... uh that's 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 probably the only issue i have with the breach event right now is that the rally at the breach site the little button if you die in the trench you start all the way at the back of the trench even even if you die at the secondary, you know, the, the secondary junction box, essentially, that you're supposed to kill, you start at the beginning of the trench. Well, if you're at the secondary junction box when you die, and when you die is when they blow up the box, well, guess what? They're at the door by the time you're respawning. 
So you still have to run all the way down the trench to the secondary box to get the little pop-up that says Rally at the Breach site. It's for me, I've always struggled to get the DPS up. Now, I had a quick look at um, the DPS league table because I'd worked hard at one point because I thought I'm really going to try and get my DPS up. I, had, I just went and looked it up. After actually working hard, upgrading all my stuff. Now this is back when um so this was eleven point five. So this was July last year, twenty sixteen. The highest amount of DPS I was able to get was thirty nine thousand. That's the highest that I've been able to get. So yeah, um and sort of like all, all these people who like you do your builds, sort of like basic stuff, everything else, and yes, like able to get a hundred, one hundred and fifty k, and yeah, sort of, I'll get the best stuff from the rep systems and everything else, and yeah, I still can't beat forty. <laughs> so. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's it depends on skill level, it depends on your build, but it also depends on piloting, where you're positioned in that run when you're doing your your uh, damage log. What abilities are you using? Like it, there's a lot into it, and there are you know some people that have been playing for years, mm. and they're not doing a whole lot of damage. Because that's where I do fall over. Is mine is I know is piloting, because well, I am still actually getting used to playing with a mouse. Yeah, um, and there's and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I've start when I started off in this game, the first parse ever that I was ever a part of. I did 7.9k. That was the that was what season nine when we were dealing with the Dyson Sphere for the first time and dealing with the Undine attacking and everything. I only did uh, just about 8k in an ISA run, which back then it was ISE Infected Space Elite, and I was ever able to have plenty of time to get used to my piling and all that. But for some, I mean, hell, with you just getting used to your mouse, you were using, a, what, a trackpad originally? I don't even know how you were doing that. <laughs> very, very skillfully. Like, good lord. With great difficulty, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things, you know, There's and there are some people out there that could care less about it. They just do builds because they're fun. Or, you know, they have a certain look that they want. There's nothing wrong with that. But because some of those builds weren't as damage-based... If they try to do an advanced run, a lot of times they get an AFK penalty, or they will get shunned by other players. Oh, you're only doing this, you suck. Whereas with these changes, it's lowering the playing field for everyone. Even the highest of players won't be doing nearly as much as what they used to. And those lower players that are you know not doing as much, they'll see a loss, but they might be able to recover more from that loss than the higher end can recover from their loss. Because at the higher end, it's a much bigger loss overall. Well, let's let's not let's not pretend like they haven't been trying to help the 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 lower end DPS players anyway. One of the big things was the adjustment of weapons power. Um, the uh, the highest stacks that you could get of overcharge have been readjusted again so that people who have a lower weapons power will be seeing more of an increase in their damage than those that have a over 100% damage uh, mm-hmm. modif- you know uh for power for their weapons power level and the whole thing has been about keeping your power levels as high as possible 
And Alex, Alex, I see you in chat, and I get what you're talking about, about HPS, heals per second, and mana efficiency, and all that. Quite honestly, if you're if that was to come into play, you're talking about getting towards that trinity that you see in a lot of Eminent Mo games, because you're measuring your damage output, your healing, um, all of that kind of stuff. And if you're trying to make that, you know, pretty much on par where you're measuring that, you want to have a good measurement for that. It would change a lot more than what they're changing already, because they would make healing even more important than ever before. They'd be giving their NPCs in the game a lot more that could kill you a lot quicker. You'd have to have extra healers. You know, you'd have to have a healer in the run to keep you alive. Um, would I mind that? Not really. It would expand, you know, what people could do for options. Well, I just want to run a healer. I don't do that much damage. I have fun in Star Trek Online being the command cruiser that comes out. I can still damage you, but I've got pets that do a lot of the damage for me, and they can heal. You know, I can heal. But I think because all the logs and the contribution to the run meters that Sudog is referencing in chat, even Cryptic's contribution to the run meter is based off of damage. That's how they base it off of. If you're not doing enough damage in that run, you get the AFK penalty. And that's something that is from Cryptic. It's built into the server. So it does become a topic of discussion a lot. But with this, with these kind of changes, you're going to want to talk more about, well, your damage is good, but how well are you being able to heal yourself? Do you have any splash heals that can also help your team? What does your science look like for a little bit of crowd control kind of deal? You'll be looking at a little bit more different options that not just damage because the combat's going to be lasting longer. So therefore you have to have more options to either damage or keep yourself alive or your allies alive or maybe crowd control some like with gravity well or things of that nature or science the hell out of them. You'll have to have different options. To me, I like that because it makes it's you know, I'm thinking already outside the box and I'm already modifying what I'm doing. But it makes people think about different options and just the always go-to things that we've been getting used to for years now. I mean, how many how many times have has it been suggested, well, you want a good build, you need the Iconian Resistance four-piece space set. I mean, that's been referenced for you know, ever since it almost ever since it came out. Yep, in almost every single conversation you hear. As mentioned, yeah. yeah, you have to have the Iconian four piece. You have to have the Iconian four piece. If you're running disruptors, you have to, you have to have the Terran task force beam. You know th- things like that. And with these changes, well, maybe I should experiment going back to the new Kara um, Strike Force two piece because it gives me a decent weapon damage boost, and I have a reflection on my space shields. That helps with survival because I'm reflecting damage back. Or do I want to use the temporal defense? Do I want to use the Lucari? Because that's a lot of extra survival built into it. Just things of that nature. I but I, I like that. I like how it will change. And I'm I wouldn't mind seeing, honestly, in this new build that they're doing on Tribble, if this does hit holodeck. Quite honestly, Alex, I wouldn't mind seeing someone roll as a healer in a starship in a run. And that's all I do. Because I wouldn't mind want to see see what kind of heals they put out. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Why not? If everything's going to change in a radical way, let's see something different. 
I I just think it's 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 something that we're going to have to get used to, like the new skill tree that we got used to, and then the trade system we got used to, and then the flavor of the month ships tied to a specialization system that we had to get used to. Yeah, I mean, think about it. the moment oh, yeah. that temporal operative came out. Around that same time, we had the temporal starships with temporal seating. Oh, and a lot of them have the molecular deconstruction beam and the molecular chain uh, construction seating, where you could have offense, defense, and support. So you had to get used to that mechanic on a battle cruiser kind of deal. And now you had temporal operative seating that did all sorts of weird stuff. And this isn't the first time they've done revamps to things in the skill tree or other abilities. I mean, we've only had this particular version of the skill tree for, I want to say, about a year now. Yes, the this current version of the skill tree, I believe it went live on April 5th last year, or yes. thereabouts. So we've With only had this of, for uh, a year. Yeah. yeah. And... Like I said, the Romulan Embassy plasma explosions have been changing back and forth for years now, ever since they were incepted. (laughs) Um, You know, feedback pulse has been bad, and then it was good, then it was great, then it was eh, then it was amazing, and now it's back to the... mm. So, I mean, I think ultimately what they're trying to do is just find a balance where they don't have to make content harder and harder to to make the high-end players happy, but at the same time, make it where it's you have to use this gear at the in, at the end game level, otherwise you're junk. You have options, and quite honestly, I think that's what's going to end up happening with this type of patch. You're going to be able to use different, I call them flavors of weapons. Where you know, if you don't, if you want to use polarons, you'll have your own, you know, your own way to build polaron builds in several different ways that'll work. And you can do disruptors in a few different ways. You can potentially mix and match beams with torpedoes, like Sun was talking about with the gravimetric torpedo. You know, might not be a bad idea on an escort build. Run a gravimetric torpedo with dual beam banks or dual cannons. And then also have a gravity well in there. So it's gravity well and gravimetric and maybe subspace vortex and they're just struggling against all these different poles and damage and they forget to see all the energy and tor- other torpedoes that are hitting them but it's it's going to give people options they don't have to build one way to be great maybe now there's going to be 10 different ways to build the same thing and it's still great and the damage output for it is marginally different between the two of them but survival can change based on what it, what you're doing there, or your science ability outputs change depending on, on what's out there. But it's going to give players more options, more console options, more gear options, more trait options. I like it, and I know there's a lot of, like I said, I know there's a lot of complaining and a lot of QQ and a lot of just hate out there right now for these changes. I see it as a welcome, fresh start to start thinking outside the box, revamping things. Let's figure out what's new. We're looking at something this radically different. Let's figure it out. And then we can make a new budget meta where different budget builds work, a new mid ground, a new healing meta. You know, we can, we can make all these different things and we can have multiple versions of the same thing. 
So do you think that they have gone far enough with these changes? Because I know you said that there are people who are sort of complaining about it. Which oh, there's always going to be. But do you think they should take a lot more of these changes further? Would you like to see that? Or do you think what they've done is good enough and just needs tweaking? For the most part, I think, for the most part, I think some of the things need some tweaking. Um maybe like plasma explosions i'll use those that is a huge loss and people have had a lot of currency locked into them to have different ones with different threat modifiers on them different science modifiers on them i mean maybe boost up the plasma explosion damage a little bit make it where you know keep them where they don't ignore shields if that's the case but just boost their damage just a little bit um like feedback pulse sorry maybe give it a little bit cut in for a second um to go back to one of the cryptic quotes clear investment retains value yeah in this one in this case the only way to make for sure that player investment retains value on some of these things would be to give back everything that they took away on a lot of these abilities because some of these, especially, like I said, and I'm referencing high-end players, the only reason that they are spending as much time, effort, and in-game currency um, in plasma explosion consoles or in feedback pulse and the Crinum science trait, which is improved feedback pulse, the only reason they're spending that kind of currency and time, I mean, one of them is Delta. They love using it, attack pattern Delta because Delta Prime from one of the promotion boxes gives you critical hit chance and critical hit severity every time you get hit. So, you know, that, and that's an expensive starship trade on the exchange. In order to keep player investment to still be worth it, they'd have to give back pretty much almost everything that they took away with this patch on a couple of these things. Like, if you want to make for sure that they feel their investment in Romulan Embassy consoles was still worth it after this goes live, you'd have to pretty much give them back almost everything that they lost on this one. You'd have I to at least give them like... Well, go, go ahead, Timber. Like, you'd have to at least give them, instead of ignore shields, you'd have to at least give them a 50% shield pin. You'd have to boost the damage of those things a lot more than what they are on Tribble to make it worth their investment because upgrading them, upgrading can be a pain in the ass because sometimes a piece of gear will upgrade at 3% chance. Sometimes it'll take 90. another, you know, sometimes it'll take 90 and it'll take like 200 upgrade tokens before it, it flips over. Yeah. So to keep the player investment still make it worthwhile some of these things, they'd have to undo what they've done to them to make that work. And I think they're using that in the broad spectrum of things for all players, not just high end. So that yeah. so that the average player is like, well, I just spent a lot of money on this one console. It's still worth it, though. And then some See, of the that's, ones... That's, yeah, that's, that's my thought. It's essentially... You, you, you know, it says that these player investments retain their 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 worth essentially. Okay, so somebody who is looking for a you know a disruptor build 
goes off and buys a whole bunch of disruptors that are a certain type of disruptor because they do a certain type of damage. Mm-hmm. They, considering what type of disruptors they are, they may spend up, wind up spending millions and millions of VC and still not be able to do a damn thing because somebody pops into a mission and suddenly it's over already. Yeah. Well, that's a wasted investment for those players. That's what I'm saying. I think it's meant on a broad spectrum. They say that, and I think I think it's honestly meant in a broad spectrum because some of the things you know at the mid to high level of just damage output cost a lot of money. There are things in different different builds that cost a tremendous amount of um, investment from fleet gear to stuff on the exchange or if you're getting it on your own you could be getting it from a lockbox that takes keys that takes zen that could take cash from your paycheck to get the zen or it could take time to cycle dilithium on multiple tunes to convert to zen to get the keys it could take a lot of investment so that's why i say i think it's on a broad scale and not just looking at a certain group of individuals doing a certain amount of damage output oh well you spend a lot of money on that console it's not gonna be worth as much I just think it's on a broad spectrum for all the players. For the most part, their minds, for the most part, pretty much everybody that they've been spending on, it will retain its worth. But there's going to be a few things that we've tweaked that won't because we want better, also better balance in the game so that you pick different options and not everybody has the same option on every ship. So that's why I think they have the line. It's going to be a broad spectrum worthwhile purchases with the underline but we had to balance some things because they were a little too have to have op so those might not retain the, the value but on the broad scale everything will with those few exceptions i think that's where they're going with that and to answer lucessi calice lucessi can i just call him can i just call him mother of dragons we'll go uh, with that mother of cats mother of cats you don't have dragons okay <laughs> yes, to your answer. I would not mind them looking at energy type procs and maybe tweaking them because that does go into a person's decision of weapon type. And that can be cannons, torpedoes, beam arrays, what have you. That can make the determination. Right now, the one of the higher end choices is coalition disruptors. Why? Because their proc adds a minus 20 disruptor resistance debuff to the target that can stack five times. Now they've tweaked that because it used to be abused all to hell. You take five people in a run that are all running the disrupt those disruptors and you could get 20, 25 stacks of coalition debuff on a singular target. One of the patch note changes is you can only have a maximum of five on any target at any time. Um, but you know, that's a choice because we also want to make for sure it's not just the damage type that we're boosting. We want to make sure that the the proc off the weapon is worthwhile to use. So I wouldn't mind them looking at some of these procs and seeing, well, maybe let's tweak them a little bit. You know, you don't have to tweak them much, but maybe it's the duration that a subsystem disable on phasers. Maybe make it last a little bit longer. Or... Maybe on Tetrions, maybe instead of an all-shield, just an all-shield, maybe lessen the damage to all-shields part of the proc 
and then add in the damage over time to shields. So it's a burn, just for standards. Or maybe make that on one of the special ones. But just tweak them a little bit. Because if you're wanting a little bit more balance, there's still going to be some weapons that people go for that are better than others. There's always going to be that way. I mean, depending on your build, you can make any energy type in the game do very well. You can make torpedoes do modestly well. There's a few exceptions where there are some players that they make torpedoes do god-awfully incredible things in the game. But the procs do matter on what they can do. I mean, if you're wanting to group up targets with gravity well, you're not wanting to use a torpedo that when it explodes, it pushes everything away. You're going to want something like a gravimetric that also sucks in the targets and does damage. Or a neutronic that does an AOE, which is an area of effect, drain on that target. You're going to want to optimize the build to some degree. So it's going to tweaking the energy type procs a little bit, maybe. Um, or coming out with new ones. I wouldn't mind having them look at it, quite honestly. Because there are a lot of different energy types in here, and it would take a while to go through. But maybe just tweak them a little bit. Making some a little bit more effective, some a little bit less effective. You know, to try and, I guess, balance it out for player fun. Would be nice. And, um... I don't call anybody late to dinner. We don't mess around with food. Anyone gets in between me and my food, then uh, they're taking their life into their own hands. <laughs> see, that's see, that's how dogs that's how dogs get put to sleep, Stu. Ooh. No, that's how people in between dogs and food get put to sleep. <laughs> and then the dog get put to sleep for being too aggressive to be handled by humans. <laughs> now. With all these changes, I know several weeks back, um, we had a glimpse on Tribble where they asked for some feedback about the upgrade system, about modifiers. Now, has any of that come back in with all this stuff that's come on Tribble at all? Wait a minute, what? I had a brain fart for a moment, what? Um, several weeks back, they have very briefly asked people to feedback on the upgrade system where they'd added something where you could do something with the modifiers. So you oh, could choose. Yeah. Has have... any of that come back when it's come to redoing all this space stuff? I have not seen it yet. I think that's something that they're working on in the background. It was called re-roll engineering. It was that's a part right. of that. It was part of the upgrade window. We saw it for about four hours before it got taken away. So not many people saw it, but we got some screenshots of it. And we weren't able to install any gear and actually use the particular um, mechanic that they had. But the basis around it was, for people that haven't heard about it, I spoke about it in one of my videos briefly, was that you could put a piece of gear in there, and for a certain dilithium cost, you could re-roll that gear to have different mods. Now, it wasn't clear on what gear could be installed, and it wasn't clear on how it would be re-rolled, if it would re-roll all the modifiers on there, and by modifiers I'm talking about the accuracy mod or the crit severity mod or your damage modifier that it adds on. We weren't clear on if it would re-roll all the mods on there or if you could pick and choose which one you could roll. And we weren't clear on the cost. But it was clear that is something they are working on for the near future. They can get it proper. Um, 
And if that's the case, that'd be a game changer when it comes to exchange prices. Why would you want to go off and buy a pulse phaser beam array that just came out with the, un the undiscovered country box? The modifiers that you want on that weapon, well, that weapon costs 100 million EC on the exchange. Well, when this system comes out, depending on what you can do with the system, why would you want to pay that much if you could just get one of the beam arrays that has what's considered the least optimal mods on it for 1 million EC, throw it in the reroll engineering, maybe two, three times a day, and just reroll it for that dilithium cost or whatever else it costs until you get the mods on it you want. So there is the potential, since we've already seen it once, they're working on it. The big thing is going to be what gear you're allowed to use in it. The initial thoughts are that you, you're going to be able to, at the very least, use any gear that you craft in your crafting, your R&D, will be able to re-roll its mods. Because, I mean, those are random modifiers anyway when you're crafting them. So your basic six energy types, your basic torpedoes, um, your basic engineering and science consoles and shields and deflectors and engines, the basic stuff will have a reroll. That's probably going to be an obvious one that will be in the system. What's not clear is what else could be put in there. Could you reroll mission reward gear so it has different mods? One that comes to mind is Dominion Polarons. Because quite honestly, if I can put Dominion Polaron weaponry into a reroll engineering and get the mods that I want out of those, those would be amazing on certain builds if I could control what mods I have on my beam arrays. Just as an example. You know, so we don't know if it's mission rewards. It could be where you could reroll lockbox gear. You get a beam an Alanchi beam array, and you don't get the good mods on it you want. You throw it in here and you pay a price. You re-roll them. Um, it could go to reputation gear. It we don't we just don't know. It was very vague, very limited info, but we do know it's something they're working on. So I have a couple of beam arrays of different energy types, different different pieces of gear. I'm just set up to the side for when it comes out, so I can test it. Because when it does come out, depending on what is allowed to go in this system could very well change the exchange market and drop prices on a lot of different things depending on what you can put in it. But so far, no, it is not on Tribble. It looks like that's going to be something that's done completely different from your standard space combat because it looks like all these changes are based around space combat. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see what and how they do that. Um, thing is... I was hoping that maybe that would come into it because if they're doing a revamp on all the space stuff, then yeah, being able to change modifiers is a huge part of that in some respects. Yeah, it would be. Like I said, it would change. It would change the market considerably. You'd see a lot of people that are selling these pieces of gear and weapons, especially weapons on the exchange. The weapons market on the exchange would probably crash. Because why would I want to spend 300 million EC on a beam array when, you know, maybe when it comes out, it's a thousand dilithium to reroll the mods. And I do that once or twice a day until I get the mods on the beam that I want. 
So wait, so wait, you're saying, you're saying, <laughs> wait, wait, oh, God. You're, saying, you're saying I only, I only quoted Midnight on a middle of the road price and I've still stiffed him. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> but like I said, it's going to depend on the gear. Like I said, for all I know, they could just do this on, at first on the most basic gear, which is gear that you craft. So, you know, when it comes to weaponry, it would just be weaponry that you can craft in R&D. It could be just as simple as that. Or they could expand it to to the mission rewards, because there's quite a few things out there in the mission rewards you can get. It just depends on where they put this when it finally comes out. We just know that they're working on it, and there is going to be eventually the mechanic in the game. You can re-roll gear with different mods. We just don't know how it's going to be implemented and what gear can be put in there. But if it goes to a far extreme, then you could be looking at things like lockbox weaponry that goes for millions upon millions of EC for a single piece or a single weapon. That market could crash if instead people are just opening their own weapons and putting them through, through reroll on their own, and then they're just keeping the weapons. Weapon values would go down considerably. So it's literally just going to depend on when it comes out, since we know they're working on it, what gets put in there. And if they do it that way, son, yeah, you got a lot of extra money off of Midnight today. And that is kind of funny. It's going to be even funnier if I log into my Orion and those other beam weapons and those other cannon weapons have sold for 50 a hundred and a hundred and fifty million like I posted. Yeah. <laughs> but suffice to say, I think that will come soon. I think that particular um mechanic will come probably by the end of the year. Since we've already we already saw that, I believe, end of last year, beginning of this year on Tribble. So they're working on it, just got got accidentally released with the Tribble patch. Well but, I don't think he got accidentally released because they did that when it got put out, um, one of the devs had actually said, we'd like you going now. We want your feedback. They, I just don't think they wanted it out there for too long, which is why they got some feedback and they took it off. So they, they got the feedback that they required at that particular point in time. So I don't think it was done by mistake because it's just like, well, why ask for feedback for something that you've just released when you shouldn't have done? Um, so, yeah, I think it was done deliberately. And I think it was also done deliberately that it was only for that short amount of time. So if they realized that maybe something wasn't quite working how they wanted it or there's some feedback and they thought, actually, we need to go back and redo this. Well, I'm hoping it does come out because I want to see what limitations it has. But at the very least, the way it sits right now on Tribble, space combat's going to change considerably the moment it goes live if it stays the way it currently is. If our theory is right, it comes out next week. If we're off, we might go through a few more Tribble patches and then it comes out in a couple of weeks or a month. But it's all going to depend on how the... People working on the game feel about it and nothing else. It's not going to matter how we feel about it. It's going to matter what they think because they're thinking balance. They're thinking rebalance, more importantly. They're thinking 
we want people to have more options, not still going to the same old ones that have been around for five years or six years. So if they feel this makes that change enough for them, they'll release it regardless of player complaints and hatred and all that. So it's literally up to them what they want to do. So there is the potential it could launch next week. Potentially. Well, it's what they did when it came to ground, as we sort of mentioned earlier on in the show. Sort of, it got released, and then the next patch day, it all came out. Yeah. So, worst case scenario, I'd say to everybody listening, plan ahead. Go ahead and start playing with your... If you've got extra respect tokens, play around with your skill tree, play around with different consoles and Sell weapons. Sell the shit you've been holding on to now to get rid of it. Get rid of it! Make as much money as you can! <laughs> yeah, for your plasmonic leeches, I will say this, they're only going for three million. Sell your plasmonic leeches while you can, because if this does become a long-term change, you might see plasmonic leeches pretty much as cheap as they were when they first came out, which was before I was in the game, but I was told that when that particular lockbox console came out for Fed for Federation Tunes to use, it was only selling on the exchange for an average of 700,000 EC, because most wait, people wait, didn't wait, use plasma it. Plasma leeches are down to 3 million each? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when did that happen? When Infinity Lockbox hit. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, it's been like that for a while because I picked one up for Zombie. Because I was pretty sure after the Infinity Box had hit, they were still going for about fifty million. No, for about a couple of days, and then they plummeted. Uh... And because the Infinity Lockbox comes back every three months, the price stays low. There's just so many of them in the game, but. If this changed the, just the plasmonic leech, and I'm referencing just that one, if that stays the way it's supposed to, then, yeah, it won't even be worth 1 million EC on the exchange. And you won't be able to get hardly anything for it. And, son, your mic is really hot. We're hearing you click and breathe and everything else. I'm trying to fix it. Things are going all kinds of awry. Well, That this- seems to have fixed Okay. So yeah, you might want to look at Is what your you got now. Working? <laughs> no, it happens when I load the stow launcher. If I'm talking in the middle of the stow launcher lo- uh, uh, launching, it locks my control key. <laughs> That's fine. We'll blame stow. It's uh, yeah. script. So I blame fault. cryptic. Yeah. Well, suffice, like I said, suffice to say, go ahead and start ma- making plans for changes now. And unless you see another triple patch drastically changing things, I'd go ahead and plan for quite a bit of changes to what you do in space. And more experimentation. Because it's going to be needed. Thank you. So, um, yeah, that's basically the news for PC is these changes when it comes to the space abilities. So, alrighty. So... Yes, now it's time to go into console news. Star Trek Online console news. So on our event calendar here, we've still got the Temporal Agent event running until the 4th of April. 
we've got 15% off the console packs until the 21st of March, 20% off Sea Store costumes until the 20th of March, and the Breach event is in effect until the 7th of April. So the Breach event is now available on console. So by participating once a day for 14 days, you will get the VSS Tanius Admiralty card for a reputation system that you input Voth operative transmissions into. You'll also be rewarded with 50,000 dilithium, 500 fleet marks, and 250 marks of your choice. Note that if you pop by your fleet starbase and pick up a fleet mark boosty thing, I cannot remember the exact name of it, but if you've got one of those on your character, you'll get 100 extra fleet marks when it comes to the payday from that. Now, there has been a patch for the console. So, as always, this is on Patch Tuesdays for the consoles. So, you've got some... Um, got the table transponder that now functions. Um, players will now be able to receive rewards through the tasks completed by the 23rd century captain. Um, this is where um, the little um, temporal thing um, wasn't bringing up the dialogue box, if I recall correctly. That only took five weeks, right? So, but they had said that any progress you had made would still count so now they've fixed it so you just need to double click well i say you only need to double click that I was thinking as it's a pc um so i'm not sure how it works actually on the um console but um yeah scroll over to... to it with your little cursor buttony things and then drop down just... the menu that says use so yeah you just need to activate it so you'll be able to get lots of little um Sort of marks and I think dilithium and all sorts of things for being able to complete all the stuff. So definitely worth um, using it. So try not to forget. So um, they've moved Echoes of Light to be a level 60 episode because um, that will have actually finished as the featured episode. Um, so a lot of this stuff is to do with 23rd century captains so it's basically just lots of fixes um animations on the character screen um they've done some stuff with the ui they've added three new categories in the menu options that separate some of the features into something more easily found um so duty officers are at level 11 um you've got end game at level 50 so under that you'll have so for duty officers it'll be duty officers admiralty research and development for the end game stuff you'll have specialization reputation pve queues under fleet you'll have fleet holdings armada find a fleet these menu items will continue to be located at their previous locations as well um, there's now a change outfit option in the standard action section of the captain command window um although player will need at least two outfits to see this option um yeah what else have we got 
the resolvent issue that prevented the claim item button of the pop-up from working. They've added display for temporary hit points. And they've resolved an issue where shield percentage would report as 100% when it was actually zero. That's, uh, that's an interesting <laughs> one. Yeah. Shields up, Captain. Crunch. Uh, maybe not. They've added a button to disable ship equipment visuals on ships. And they've also added a button to disable holstered weapon visuals on Captains 2. Um, for systems, um, they've got um, various things in here, including resolving issues with the Graviton Spike, where it wouldn't trigger if the player's shot killed the target. Um, resolved an issue where the Elphic, Elphic, the Delphic anti-proton beam arrays would not fire beam overload ones. Um, resolved an issue where Invincible could fail to apply immediately after continuity had activated or both were equipped. Um, try to think, are they traits? Um, um, they're not traits, are they? Invincibility and continuity. Um, invincible is the Zol trait. That's, that's a starship trait. Continuity is simply a passive ability in the temporal operative specialization. Okay. No, it's just the fact that they said we're both activated. Um, so, it, yeah, it just, I suddenly thought, are they traits? Because <laughs> it got activated. Because usually with the traits is you don't have to activate anything. It's just something that's there. So, um, because they said um, activated if both were equipped, and it's just like, uh... <laughs> um, so yeah, there's various of other things. Um, they've res um, resolved some issues with the Aegis set bonuses as well um, for the two and three piece sets. Um, so, Feedback Pulse now has a better, um, more accurate description. Uh, tractor beam repulsors now indicate that its damage ignores shields. Um, that is a tooltip change only. So there are some other items in the patch notes. Um, but of course the link will be listed if you want to properly go through it all. Um, as was mentioned in the events that the breach returned, I think it was last week, wasn't it? So, yep, um, I just mentioned that a second ago. Yeah, so yeah, make sure that you do that. Um, and as we said last week, for the console players, they wouldn't have actually had the breach before. So, um, yeah. Don't know um, why it says the breach returns. Oh? Yeah, so... Copypasta! Copypasta! Or unless maybe the breach was put in there. Um, unfortunately, Geese isn't here to um, say if he'd noticed it in there or not. But yeah, I've been enjoying it. I do like the revamp that they've done to it. So if it had gone there with the older version, then yeah, we can actually maybe sort of, they're actually enjoying it more when it comes to the console. But I think this is actually the first time they've played it, in which case, um, well, I definitely prefer the revamped version, though. Well, the revamped version is definitely 
alt character friendly. I mean, oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're doing the original, the original um, breach, and you have multiple characters you have to play on. I mean, the average breach was lasting twenty five minutes, thirty minutes. I mean, if you had a good team, you can cut it down some or pre made. But if you're doing random pickup groups, I mean, it could last half an hour for one run. Well, I mean, Midnight's got like eight billion tunes because you know he just wanted to spawn <laughs> one tune for everybody on <laughs> the freaking planet. So, you know, that time adds up quickly, very quickly. Whereas yeah. this new version, I'm averaging seven minutes a run. That's good. Okay, I would take seven minutes over 30 any day of the week. So, and then there have been some that have been finding some bugs in the run where you can actually skip part of it that are still there. I'll say that. They're still there. Some have been fixed. Some are not. And they're still there. You can get the run done in five minutes or less. So... But it's a lot more friendly to, if you've got multiple tunes. You want to get all that dilithium on multiple tunes so you can trade it in later. Definitely a lot better with this version. Mm. Well, that's what I'd like to have time to do. Um, unfortunately, I've been just having time to do it for my main character and been helping a friend out to run theirs because they've been stuck at work. So um, the second time I've been running it has not been for me. But um, yeah, hopefully the next time this comes around, I'll or you could just not run this run at all and wait until the Phoenix comes back around with this new thing in it. Well, uh, most of the time, I'm actually doing this event more to get the the dilithium because you get fifty thousand dilithium ore. Um, so it's more to do with getting the dilithium than anything else, to be honest. <laughs> now, so. trying to work that out on paper, Timberwolf. If uh, Midnight has like 8 billion characters, so that means it's going to take him 56 billion minutes per day to run the events, but there's only 1,440 minutes in a day? Hey, he's gonna... subspace time compression is his problem. I'm just saying he's got too many damn tunes. Nah, it's probably well, also going to blow the bar the dilithium many... market as well. You know, he has the, he does have the Santa Claus vice that, that Xander gave him that slows time. I wish. <laughs> oh, like that thing at Harry Potter. Something like that. No, 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 no. No, the Harry Potter thing reversed time. Yeah, this is, this is a device that actually slows it down. Yeah, but, uh, no, I don't have that many characters. Only... 46. Oh, only 46. You need one more to make it 47, the magic number. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've got 37 standard recruit, recruits, 7 delta recruits, and 2 23rd century recruits. So It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I just wait until this year's uh, Hey, Create a New Tune event rolls around. He's going to have another what? <laughs> one of each category yeah. slash faction slash six Romulans because they can swing both ways. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and quite honestly, that's something else that's kind of expected this year. For the past two years now, we've had a create a special tune. First, it was a Delta recruit. Then it was an Agents of Yesterday 23rd Century recruit. I mean, it stand to reason there's going to be another tune that has its own special micro story arc that gets put in 
So, yeah, you're going to have another one, and then you'll have another one next year, and then another one next year, and then you'll create two the following year because you only, you don't want to do more than one. Hey, hey, remember that planet that had, like, Iconian stuff on it? Then it had Nakul probes on it? Hey, now it's got, um... Now it's got something else. Chickens. chickens it's got chickens on it. it. Yeah, you gotta yeah. catch the well, chickens. For the chicken most dun- part, I've got run. one for each unique species and one for each type of recruit. So, um, I've got all 30 unique species covered. Um, plus, sort of, I've created other duplicates of some species when creating um, like the Delta recruits and the 23rd century recruits. I'm still waiting for the story follow through of the uh, the librarians, the preservers that actually like did leave their enclosure thing in the library to to explore current humanity. Yeah, because it did say in the, when you go through the first one that is in the the um the Breen story arc that some will, some some will, will get some out. Will drift along uh, some will drift long, um, about the galaxy and some will remain asleep yeah which means that before the iconians blew up that particular sanctuary some of them potentially left and they're not on the planet so we still have preservers sitting around with all of that knowledge in their dna and all the rest of them were like, ah, come on, dude, I'm going to stay asleep until lunchtime. Just you guys yeah, go. But that's, uh, of don't, course, don't, if Iconians, that's, of course, if Iconians didn't go and track down the other preservers first. Because they had the technology just to go and just exit. Um, well, they knew where the main facility was. Yeah, but there's always backup facilities. I mean, the planet that they were on for that particular one was different than the one that Kirk found with the preserver cannon on it. I mean, it's right. and in the books, in a lot of the novels, there are multiple planets found all over the place that have the preserver cannons and little um, repositories in them and everything. We had three. We had three. We had the one on what's their name? The, so there was the, a the balance. The, the balancey people. people. The balancey people. They the fairy. That's it. They had one. There was one on a moon that we never got to go into. So two we never got to go into. Then there was a third one on a frozen planet, which if you go into the little area where the thing is, where you're picking up the star chart, there are two pods hanging on either side of that thing, which yeah. means there are two preservers right there in that little area. Yeah. Potentially. That's what I was saying. There, you know, I can agree with that because not all the preservers were killed. So some of them are probably still out there, and they have knowledge that would supersede our own on multiple subjects. It would it would be kind of cool to follow them uh, through time or whatnot because you know time has to be a thing half half the time. Well, look at the time. Um, I don't know. Should what? we get to Should we get to community questions? I think it's time for us to get to community and and start wrapping things up. Yeah. Maybe broke in the community. In the community. (laughs) Dance party starts in half a minute. Get out on the dance floor. (laughs) I do have to, uh, before we, before we get into like community, community stuff, we've, had a trek death in the family so um um lawrence I, i'm going to s- 
I'm going to attempt to say his last name. Lawrence Montagan has passed away. For those of you who don't know, he was a uh, the original series actor who played Stan, the Vulcan, in A Mock Time, and Decius, the Romulan, in Balance of Terror. Another stone-faced actor. This was the um, Stan in A Mock Time was the love interest of the lady that Spock was supposed to be betrothed to. Yep. So we... to want a thing is not necessarily the. The, what was it? Not necessarily the best to have a. Th- it's not the same as having a thing. To want a thing is not the same as having it. It is not logical, but so, it is true. Uh, yeah. We found out late this evening that Lawrence passed away this morning, and um, he actually pre- reprised his role of, of Stan in Star Trek: Of Gods and Men, the um, the pre-role for Renegades, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I just I wanted to I wanted to let everybody know. Well, hopefully he has found peace and rest. Hmm. Yeah. And our thoughts are with his family and friends. Indeed. So, um, a reminder that fellow podcaster and community member, um, Mav is still looking for assistance with, um moving his stuff to try and get himself set back up. Um, so if you are able to help, then head over to gofundme.com forward slash Tom's hyphen moving hyphen fund. Now, Dudog, you'd got a couple of items yourself in here. Yeah. Um, so the first one is a friend of the podcast, Fred Kasdan, who always gives us a shout out during his streams and in his videos has rolled a new Agents of Yesterday character. And he's been playing this character in a new series of Twitch playthroughs that he's doing every every couple of nights around around midnight-ish Eastern time. And he's started a new show format called Treks and Tunes. So basically his premise is that he'll put down, you can either pick one of two bands and he gets the people watching to vote for whatever music they want to hear or they can vote for Fred's wildcard in which he'll choose something entirely random from his music collection which is very eclectic ranging from classic rock modern rock 80s jazz right up to present day pop music so Fred's a regular streamer and he represents a guild of streamers called Team Emzy. And as well as that, he's got his own YouTube channel as well, where he reviews a lot of things ranging from wrestling to Doctor Who to the occasional episode of Star Trek in his Treks and Voyages series. The next item I've got on the docket comes from Captain Bill Morgan at the 12th Fleet, that the oldest honorary member of their fleet, celebrated her 81st birthday the other day. Captain Melba was visited by Bill and several members of the fleet and presented with an awesome 12th fleet cake and a really cool mug with little captain's pips around the side of it. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, that is it for In the Community. So now it's time to go and... 
hear what the community has said regarding the feedback. Community feedback. Join with us. Share your thoughts. Resistance is futile. So, question one. What do you think about the new ships in the Star Trek Online R&D packs? Merwinian on the Timelines Discord server, 10 Forward channel, replied with, I'm free to play in Stow, so I don't have an opinion on those. Alex Wunger on the Stow forums sent us a very small leaflet as opposed to his usual book. His answer was, I'm really not sure why Sun was so hung up on the Bortescue. That ship is pretty much a bulkier, sturdier Nekvar, and claiming that the nacelles look like fed nacelles, the Vorcha and the D7 Katinga have similarly thin-looking nacelles. It's very much a Klingon ship, and to me it looks like a cross between the D7 Katinga Vorcha line of vessels and the Nekvar Fortescue line of vessels. Well, let me rephrase that. Klingon battlecruisers have gotten bulkier and sturdier over time, this temporal ship is a bit of a throwback to the sleeker designs. Now, if your complaint was along the lines of all Klingon ships look too much alike, we might have a discussion going, but that's not what you said. By the way, I did watch the recording of the dev livestream. Apparently some people complain that Romulan ships look too much alike. Well, we've only ever seen a bird motif. A somewhat aggressive bird motif, to be precise. Birds of prey like eagles, hawks, owls. I wonder if a Romulan dove pigeon inspired ship would work at all. What a Romulan peacock. But let's face it, there are only so many ways to design a ship that resembles some sort of bird of prey, and it doesn't look like some birdish thing. People will complain that it doesn't look like a Romulan ship. Shrugs. Later on, some people in chat asked for a playable Borg ship. Some of them may honestly want to fly around in a cube. Others were probably just trolling. At this point in time, I don't care anymore. Let's have Borg ships. Let's have the Kit Bash Abominations. Let's have a Tier 6 Apollo 11. But don't expect me to recommend the game to anyone ever again, because I won't. I wish there was another Star Trek MMO out there. I wouldn't be stuck here, then. Shrug. Okay, I, I, I gotta, gotta... You gotta, you gotta. I've, I've, I've got to make clear my understanding of what I was talking about. Okay, so when you look at the Negvar, I don't see any elements of it in the Bortoscu. And why do I not see elements? Because the design elements that I take from the Negvar are thick wings with a, a with underside guns and a head with a divot in it, kind of like the Vorch cruiser has. You know, kind of look like it's a stun prod for a for a for a saucer. Yeah, it's got like a forky thing in the front of it. Right. I don't see that with the Bordasku. Now, some of the variants may have added stuff like that, but the Bordasku has never screamed this aggressive thing to me. And this new temporal version just looks like another vor- version of the Bordasku. Yeah, sure. The the it it's harkening back to the really slender neck of the D7s. That's great. That's 
you know, that's kind of amazing. It still feels like the Bortoscu. You know, another an, and another one of the major design elements of the Vorcha was it had four nacelles. It does. Go and take a look. It's got the two top nacelles, and then it's got a second pair underneath those. The the only thing that really feels like the Vorcha has been the Moog class. Yeah, I get that. But yeah, every time we come to this, we come to these battle cruiser ships. They seem to be reinterpreting the design of the Bortoscu. So you know, if if I was if you know, and I understand the reasoning behind it because it's 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 a whole hell of a lot easier to make something that looks like the Bortoscu and say this is Klingon than it is to make a whole bunch of angled things all the time everywhere. Which I, I guess is, is why it took so long for them to release the Moog battlecruiser over the Federation Avenger. I'm going to say that like they gave this ship a, a proper name as well, didn't they? They didn't just lazily name it the, the D-356 because it was like in the future and it was Klingon. And everything that's Klingon is just like D-this, D-that. The DS9 versions did, Alex, because the first time we saw the Negvar was in the Mirror Universe, and the Mirror Universe one had it. They showed up again without them in the prime timeline, and then they came back All in the prime timeline near the end of the war. Correction on that one. We saw the Negvar for the very first time in the episode The Way of the Warrior, which was also the first, you know... It was the second episode where we saw Cisco bald with the goatee. No, it was in the final episode of TNG. All good things. When the Enterprise decloaks. Wait wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. The end of the the next generation was in the middle of them still filming DS9. Yeah. DS9 was going on at the time TNG ended. The second series was. Way of the Warrior didn't start until the fourth series. After generations, because that's when Worf had been having the whole like, oh yes, the Enterprise has been blown up, and I'm kind of jobless, and well, we'll go here. And generations was filmed in '96, all good things '94, which means Way of the Warrior would be '96, '97. Yeah, but I don't the think point they reference. Yeah, started off not being there. It showed up in the Mirror Universe one, and then showed up in the Prime Universe one. No, because the one you're thinking of is Shattered Mirror, and that was Season 5 of DS9. And Way of the Warrior with Cannons was Season 4. So it showed up in Season 4 in the Prime Universe with Cannons assaulting DS9, um, starting the Federation-Klingon conflict. And then the next season, we go over to the Mirror Universe with... Uh, Cisco helping them build their Defiant, and they fight off Regent Worf's Negvar, and it had cannons as well. But it was in the Prime Universe first, by a whole season. Okay, consider me corrected. It's existed in the Prime Universe before it was in the Mirror Universe. So yeah, it's a thing that has it's it's a thing that has existed in the Prime Universe. So when I see the Negvar, I don't I don't consider something looking like the Negvar unless it's got those underside like barrels on them whether they fire cannons or not yeah i think the the first and i know it was non-canon i think i think the first the first negvars that we were seeing in all good things 
they had a different name. They weren't known as Negvars. I mean, they were referenced on screen as Klingon battle cruisers. But I think the first non-canon name was like Vude, and then it officially came out as the IKS Negvar in DS9. But the ones that didn't have cannons had a different classification name off-screen kind of deal. But that's just arguing semantics. They did originally show that original design before uh, DS9 without cannons. Uh, and and look, I understand the whole thing about the 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 thin nacelles from the D7 and all that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah, I didn't say that that was an issue to me. I said the nacelles looked like the Klingons went and stole them from the Federation shipyards for the J, reversed engineered them, and made them Klingon. That's the that, that's not a complaint. That's me going, they literally did the most Klingon thing they could do. They stole the technology and made it their own. So, yeah, I mean, I, I understand the whole, I understand how other people could see it. I don't see it. I don't see it out of the Bortoscu, and I sure as hell don't see the Negvar out of this, mostly because, you know, when I look at the Negvar, I think of swept wings, kind of like a Romulan warbird or a bird of prey. And with the nacelles attached to it, these underguns, like they're going to unload massive amounts of damage at me. And then, not to mention, the front of it seems to have a cattle prod at the end, and it's going to shock me if I get anywhere near it. Well, to so, me, this new Klingon ship, um, the new Klingon ship honestly looks like a mix between like the the, the back half of the, the the temporal dreadnought that we're talking about. The back half kind of looks like it's a a modernized Vorchok because it has that long neck and then the downward swept pylons to the nacelles. It just looks sleeker. Honestly, to me, the front of that Klingon ship looks like the patrol escort from the Federation. There's one of the one of the patrol escorts. The front of its saucer has that same look with the um, the long protrusion coming out of the bottom. Looks almost exactly the same to me. It looks like a mixture between those two starships, and they were just starting to take some Federation cues almost in some of their one of their designs. And that's weird to say, but that's what it looks like. Again, this is why I pointed at the nacelles being really super thin and looking like they had just stolen them from the the Federation shipyards. I mean, I don't think it looks bad. I just look at it and go, well, it's another Bortoscu. You know, just like the command ships all look like the Bortoscu because they're thick and bulky and they look like they, they look like they shouldn't be maneuverable at all whatsoever. Kind of like the original Bortoscu isn't. And that's, that's saying something considering that the, the temporal version that we have for the Klingons is the thinnest ship of them all. <laughs> yeah. It's going to, it's going to wholly outclass both of the other ships in maneuverability. Yet at the same time, it doesn't even look remotely like it should be that maneuverable. The, the Bortoscu doesn't, doesn't, doesn't maneuver as it should, you know, as it should, you know, because it's this big hulking thing. And when we had the command, the command cruisers come out. They look like somebody just snapped the neck off the Bortoscu and made squat little fighters, but there's still these big hulking masses that don't look like they should turn really yeah. fast. 
Meanwhile, yeah, you've had the the D sevens and the the you know the Negvars, and they've had this sleekness to them that makes them look maneuverable. Even being this hulking mass of the Negvar, it's a menacing looking thing. But even with it being menacing, it looks like it's going to turn around and just smack you in the face. Just just turn on a dime and smack you in the face. Because of that imposing presence, the Bortoscu doesn't have it. This temporal dreadnought doesn't have it. It looks like this big thing just sitting out there going, Hi, hey, yeah, I'm going to do some damage to you now. Oh, oh wait, no, 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 come back here, come back here. Damn it, come back here, I was about to do damage to you. That's that's how I feel about those ships. Yeah, I mean, well... I've kind of been partial to liking the, the, the Enterprise J type because it looks weird. But if I was to say best looking one that fits the bill for its um its race, its government, the Romulan dreadnought does it to a T. Hands down. Hands down. I mean that part of its design almost looks like it came from some of the fan created builds for what was it Klingon Academy and some of the 23rd century games for Star Trek when it comes to just its look my only issue with the Romulan ship is it looks like it hasn't been completed it looks like it doesn't have a head it's just like wings oh no 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 it's got a head I've again as the person who's who's seen this thing up close oh yeah it has a head it is it is ninety percent wings, yes, but it still has a beak, like it has a beak saucer, like captain's bridge thing on it. It's just really, really little compared to these massive hulking wings. Yeah, but it, it fits the bill when it comes to looks for the faction, hands down, mm-hmm. and it looks like an imposing bird of death. It honestly fits that bill. Like you're, you're, you're going around a planet trying to if, not if get around an ambush, and then up, that warps in, and you're like, "Oh dear God in heaven!" If that ship shows up and you're on the planet, and all of a sudden the shadow of that thing crosses the moon, you know shit's going down. <laughs> yeah. So I was away looking at a reference manual, and the nacelle type things underneath the standard universe Nekvar seen in the way of the warrior, are tactical sensors and the Nekvars in All Good Things didn't have them. So I would go along with what Timberwolf said about it being like a different type of ship. The the Voodie class, did you say? Yeah, that was one of the fan uh, terms that was used, the Voodie class. It was V-O-O-D-I-E-H. So I'm rusty on my Klingon pronunciations. But that was the term used for the All Good Things variant. And uh-huh. then since it was named on screen, the one we see in DS9 is the Negvar class because of its uh, cannons. It's a prime timeline because we were looking at an alternate timeline thanks yep. to Q. Uh, the book that I was referring to, that's the Star Trek Fact Files, yep. produced in 1998-99, uh, refers to that ship as Q's anti-timeline, anti-time timeline, Klingon attack cruiser, and it refers to the Nekvar several times, but it doesn't, it doesn't call it the Nekvar. Yeah, I don't know where 
uh, Ext Asterisk got their naming, but it says that the future Klingon ship is the Vodle class. Yeah, that's what Timberwolf said. Yeah, yeah Vodle. Uh, I, yeah, I was mispronouncing it. But yeah, that's and I use that website. That one and ditl.org are two of the ones I go to when it comes to finding the ships that don't really have names on screen. They're typically good about finding out the ones that are put in there behind the scenes. Yeah, because we looked up the the massive birds of prey and you'd found a, a classification for them. The Datai. Yeah, the ones that were as large as a galaxy class or Romulan Warbird. Yeah, those were Datai yeah, the wingspan battleships. Of Romulan Warbird, yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't a name that you heard on screen. For that episode, it was just Klingon battleships standing by. And it's like, well, what's the name of them? You had to go from behind the scenes to find out what they were really named. Or fan conjecture. But yeah, the friggin' birds of prey that size. Good lord. Which, again, makes me ask the question, where are they? You know, you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to, oh, hey, guess what? We're putting the Enterprise in game because it's, quote, unquote, fun. Um, so, where's my bird of prey the size of a battlecruiser? That is actually a battlecruiser. Well, if you're going that route... You know, we had two different sizes of Dominion Dreadnought. We had the Dominion Dreadnought that we saw early on in uh, DS9, the one that the Valiant fought. And that was a sizable ship. And then you saw the Super Dreadnoughts that were above Cardassia, that were three times the size of the first one we saw. We've only got one of them. Where's the Super Dreadnought? Like, let's just make these ships bigger and bigger. Come on. That's going to be the tier six version when you get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm I'm being honest. They've been going back and forth and rechanging all the, I mean, you, you, you know, they, they changed the, the Chelgret. The T6 version looks more like, like an angrier version of the, the ones from, you know, the, the actual series now. Yeah. Because the T6 was um, more based off of concept art, and the concept art was – it looked aggressive as hell. And then they toned it down with some of the designs you see on television, but yeah, I don't mind it. But yeah, no, it's just like the, you know, they keep you know they keep changing it, but you know, going back, the 26th century temporal dreadnought reminds me of the, the, the Bortoscu and all the Bortoscu variants because it's not – it looks like it's supposed to be this big hulking mass, not this imposing figure that will turn around and smack you. It looks like it's just supposed to sit there and protect the thing, not maneuver around the map and kick ass. That's what the that's what the you know that's what the Negvar and the Mogai are in the the Mog. They 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 scream that to me. You know, we're going to maneuver around and kick ass. And you've got the Bortoscu and the Temporal Dreadnought sitting over here in the back of the row going, we'll protect the ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so shall we move on to community question number two? Alex Wonder says that community question number two does not exist. We say, do you like the recent Star Trek timelines changes to the gauntlet? Donut from the Star Trek timelines Discord server 10 forward channel replied, I could take it or leave the changes. The pace of new events, though, overall is wearing thin. Reruns would help, but the constant pace runs inventory is thin. I agree. Merwinian 
in the Timelines Discord server 10 forward channel, is very pleased with the torrents of merits in the revised rewards. Principia, from the Discord server 10 forward channel, they don't make or break gauntlet for me. I'm glad to see the back of the two star trainers. Community question three. What do you think about the two newest additions to the Star Trek Discovery cast? Donut on the Timelines Discord server 10 forward channel replied, I'm excited most for the captain. Even if he won't be the focus, Isaacs has great acting skills. Merwinian in the Discord server 10 forward channel says, Jason Isaacs. That's all I have to say. Principia in the Discord server 10 forward channel. I was very, very excited to see Jason Isaacs being cast, but given the original premise of the show, being that the star isn't the captain and how terrible the ship design is, I hope he's not getting Sean Beaned. I'd be happier if it didn't seem to be turning into a sausage fest, save the putative lead and the one announced guest. Alex Wonder in the stove flow. Language. English. Reboot. Hello, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Get to the chopper! <laughs> Alex Wonder in the stove forum. I'd, I don't know the women, but I've seen the guy before. I can't put... I can't... I can't speak. I Reload. can't quite put my finger on it, Googles him furiously. Oh, Lucius Malfoy. Okay. I watched the Harry Potter movies once because a friend insisted on it. They weren't bad. And there were some amazing actors involved. I have no clue who the woman is. Good luck to her, I guess. See, I don't doubt that the actors are going to do a fine job. I mean, there are some very talented people among the cast. I don't doubt Nicholas Meyer, and because Midnight vouched for him as a producer. Fine, Alex Kurtzman gets a pass. As a producer, just keep him away from the scripts, because I don't think he's a good writer. But I very much doubt CBS, or rather, uh, this whole all-access thing that depends on Discovery. Let's just hope I'm being pessimistic here rather than realistic. I'd heard and read that the young lady who was announced has quite a theatrical acting career, but well, she's most not of got the, much of an on-screen career. Let's Let's be honest. Most of the lead actors for Star Trek come out of the theatrical community. Yeah. Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Picard. Oh, well, they were all in westerns before Picard, that, though. Picard comes out of theatrics. He's classically trained. He's one of the classically trained ones. He was doing Macbeth, and then he went from Macbeth to Star Janeway. Trek. Janeway was, Janeway was theatrics. Like, if you are in any way involved with her unofficial fan page, there is post constantly of her being in... in before she was in Trek, of her being in theater time and time again. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't know so much, though, about Cisco, uh, but I wouldn't, it, it wouldn't take too much to convince me that he was. I mean, the one that stands out to me for Cisco before Star Trek was both himself and Janeway were in the miniseries Roots. He yes, was one I of the slaves, and yeah. she was one of the bounty hunters. She was a ruthless bounty hunter during that show, and they were both in there, and this was before their Star Trek roles were ever picked up. 
So Yes, um, he was also in a movie, and I cannot remember the naming of it for the life of me, but it was along the lines of Mr. Tom or Uncle Tom, and he was one of the the slaves on a cotton farm. Uncle Tom's Kevin? Because that's that's the only that's the only picture that would come to my mind. Hello, googling. Oh, okay. This <laughs> is like Goog- yeah. Um, I was just uh, quickly oh, googling, oh, googling it to okay. see if uh... <laughs> <laughs> it took a moment. Uh, I'm having old people syndromes. Stop! No, I'm only thirty years old. <laughs> you think I'm only thirty? What? Wait, I'm happy what? with that. Wait, what? You think I'm only 30? I'm happy with no, that. No, no, that's me. Talking about me. It took me a little bit to realize when you said you were yes. Googling um, what you were doing. Uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, 1987, stars Avery Brooks. Yeah, I figured as much. So yeah, Samuel this, L. Jackson. There's this, there's this history of theatrics with lead characters in Trek. So I wonder if our ensign, our, our far ensign lady, is going to be a a lead character, especially considering this is going to be one of the we're focusing on the second in command, and the second in command would also probably be dealing with this ensign bridge officer constantly. You know, hello, where is everybody? So, <laughs> I'm I'm still here. Sorry. Um. I, I'm slightly broken. My, Should I move on to general feedback? My screen is my screen is going mental at me. It might help. <laughs> Alex, Alex left general feedback. Good morning, Tribbles. Before I get started, no, you did not get an email, and I intend to be rather brief this week. You sounded like you needed some rest, and since we got some more information about the space balance changes, I'll probably scrap what I had and start anew. I'm not sure yet. Space balance changes. I'm really not sure how to tackle this without writing an entire book about game design. Okay, not an entire book, but definitely a few pages. There are some fundamental issues with Stowe's game design, and this balance pass won't solve them. It might be a remedy uh, for a few of them, but that's a story for a different day. Quit being the Fallout storyteller. Only he's allowed to say, but that's a story for another day. Shakes fist angrily. You damn kids and your music. <laughs> Console issue. So after four weeks, five weeks, the temporal responder tr- transponder finally works. The people who I see my um, inability to speak is contagious. No, it's no, it's me having issues carried over from last week. The people who kept. Uh, who kept playing can finally claim all that outdated and therefore useless level-up gear. And the ones who waited for the issues to be resolved can start playing again and acquire the level-appropriate stuff. This is like, um... It's like this is Spinal Tap, when everyone comes out of the things and start playing the instruments and the one guy's stuck inside, and then at the very end of the song, his opens and he comes out. That's what this is like. I okay, let's I'm going to be honest here. I've never seen that. So, I don't know I don't know necessarily what you're talking about, but okay. I'll take your word for it. Uh, it was like a fake documentary about uh, a fake rock band. Okay. Brilliant film. 
And the turn rate bug is fixed. Took them long enough. See, Timber called this a quality of life issue. And that's correct, but in this case, it's a cru it's crucial to the game. Why? Well, let's say there's a re uh let's say there is a reason why a ship like the Scimitar got a turn rate of 7, even though its sheer size would suggest a turn rate of let's say 4. That would seem more reasonable, but that wouldn't be but fun. Space combat tends to be one feature that is mentioned as being the most fun part of Star Trek Online. When you make that arguably best part of your game severely less fun, uh, not a smart move. Let's face it, this bug needed to be fixed within a few days. Even if we take into account that Cryptic does not have the budget or the manpower or whatever, I'd give them a week. Two, if I was feeling extremely generous. Oh, well, let's just hope there are no more issues for a few months. Wait, what? What are you talking about? The in-game calendar for consoles stated that the anniversary event would end today? But it ended yesterday? And Kale just pointed at the blog and started, uh, and stated that stated the correct time and apologized for any confusion? Dear Tribbles, I require your assistance. I need all of you to perform a double face palm because I have neither enough faces nor enough palms to express what I'm thinking. Can 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 I take my hands off my face now? I'm gonna take my hands off my face. Wait a minute, you're you're face palming and still managing to hold down the speak key. Yeah, that's because I can hold the speak key with my nose. That is image of the day, that's brilliant. <laughs> because not only am I face palming, I'm face desking as well. So there you go. <laughs> Face so, palm performed, sir. <laughs> so Regulus FF7 on the Stow Reddit replied, "Why do you guys, uh, why do you guys get downvoted every time? It's almost automatic. It makes you wonder." By the way, you guys know who? Uh, by the way, you guys know who is responsible for the ground mechanic system? Midnight responded. I've noticed that most podcasts get that reaction on Reddit. Stow Reddit seems to be one of the most brutal. I see it gets downvotes straight after it, uh, uh, straight after I post it, so I know they've not had a chance to listen to the episode. But never mind. I shall continue to post the episodes as I would. At, uh, still like to engage with the listeners who only use Reddit. Infinite diversity and infinite combinations. I'm sure. I'm not sure offhand who it was, but I shall ask the question on this week's show to see if anybody else does. Midnight, you forgot to ask. Who did the ground mechanic system? Well, I was going to ask the question when it came to this bit here. Um, Timberwolf, can you remember yes. which dev it was that was responsible for the ground mechanic system? Um, offhand, no. I am I am not entirely sure. Because um, I and, couldn't remember at all. It's just like, yeah. And, and <laughs> mainly because they also have a, they have a lot of not, a new faces in there. Not just uh, Ambassador Kale being new, but there are new coders in there. Um, that they were, they like they had been with the company for maybe a month when Star Trek Las Vegas came around. Some of them are new within a few past few months, so I'm not entirely sure who all has been working on it. Plus, also with things like these systems as well, sometimes they'll have just more than one person working on it. It's not just down to a individual either. Yeah. You made me watch the um, because the Arena of Sunpet came out at the same time as the ground revamp, so 
I suspect the answers might lie there because there was devs in the the video live stream that they did. So I'll give that a watch and I'll see if any names are dropped. Cool. So Regulus FF7 replied again, yeah, the downvote thing was worse a while back. Either way, please keep up the good shows. And Midnight responded, thank you, we'll try, Combadge. We have had some feedback on our Google... Interesting feedback. We've had some feedback on our Google Plus page. Uh, Toshogu Takagawa. I'm going to assume that's how it's pronounced. Commented on Google Plus and said, I am not clicking on anything that remotely resembles triple porn. The internet has made me click shy. I, I, I don't understand. Um, it's all to do with the title of last week's show. Okay, but there's usually an image that accompanies it, right? Well, the, our basic title is Tribbles in Ecstasy, which he might have taken as, oh, they are seeing a high amount of pleasure. And so, the, yeah. last week's show was so basically the title of the show was Tribbles and XC take 256 a ginormous show because of course with the J um, we were talking about so I actually put J hyphen enormous show so of course he looked at that and just thought it was some sort of Tribbles porn. <laughs> it, it took me a moment. I'm thinking, what's what are they going on about? How? How does that resemble to and then I actually looked at the image that I goes with it and then thought, yeah, I know what they're on about now. <laughs> so okay. so yeah, that that just uh, made me chuckle. We also had a um we, we also had a, a response in I assume Russian. Oh yes. That looks like yeah. some form of Cyrillic writing, yeah. Um so I, I ran it through, I ran it through, I want to say Midnight ran the original translation through Google, or Google translated it on its own. I ran yeah. it through, I ran it through another translator, and um, uh, the name that was given for this is King Father Imperator. So uh, if that's you, hey, thanks for listening. Hello, um, how's it going? Should I read both of the translations? Read them all, son. Read them okay, all. Okay. All three of them. I can't read the original script because Lord knows I don't know how to pronounce any of those words. Um, so the original translation from Google was, There are more ogres and confusion, less and less power wasted on peace and unification. Natasai, Nitterpinmost. I don't know what that even is, but then I ran it through another translator and um, got back more ogressy, uh, less confusion forces spent on peace and uniting nations intolerance. So my brain piecing together what I know of Oriental broken, broken English with word placement and everything, I put the response together and hopefully this comes close um so more ogres and less waste on peace forces and united nations intolerance and my only question is is this supposed to be a russian trump like tweet slash joke thing because i'm wondering if ogres like. is maybe a translation as trolls but i i don't know it's what <laughs> 
I, I don't know about that one. Also, Alex, I, I want to... <laughs> the interesting thing is... You, yes, I can understand the thought of ecstasy being the, the state of climax, but you have to understand that's not the way the Japanese think about it. The Japanese... Uh, the Japanese think of ecstasy in a different, uh, in a in a in a food state. In some instances, when they talk about sex, the act of climax is reaching heaven, or, or at least that's how the translation goes. So um, I don't. At the same time that I I see this and I go ah they're making a D joke, but it's the J, and then I go but it doesn't make any sort of sense to me. Uh. At the same time I see this, I see the fact that in Japanese culture, sex is usually uh, equated with heaven, not, you know, I mean, I guess it could be ecstasy, depending on how it's translated, but this is where I turn my head like a dog and go, huh? <laughs> hey, that's my line. <laughs> okay, well, thank you everyone who fed back to us always great to get everybody else's opinions so community questions for this week's show question one what do you think about the changes to the space in star trek online or the space changes in star trek online that we've seen so far on the triple server and discussed in this episode question two what new features would you like to have introduced into star trek timelines version 1.8 that's due out soon. So that's it for this week's show. Um, just a reminder that as of next week, um, we are moving to going live on Saturdays. So next week, that will be 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern, and 10 o'clock for the UK. And for Alex, who's um, further where further east even <laughs> um who's an air ahead of us in the uk that'll be 11 o'clock when we plan to go live so and that will be on saturday the 25th of march interesting to note i can see i can see the haggard image in my head that that alex is putting on right now because of the first community question you asked like you should not have asked that, Midnight. You should not have asked that. <laughs> what do you think of the space changes in Star Trek Online? You should not have asked that. Yep, you should not have asked that. So, if you'd like to join any of our fleets, you can find us on the Federation side of Star Trek Online at Tribbles and XC Sci Fleet. And for the KDF, it's Targs and Ecstasy. And in Star Trek Timelines, it's simply just triples in ecstasy. So, if you'd like to get us anywhere across the internet, you can listen to us in syndication on trekradio.net and subspace-radio.net every Wednesday. You can also find us on iTunes, and for people in North America, you can also get us on Google Play. If you would like to contact us, please reply to any of the posts on any of the social networks or you can contact us direct via twitter facebook google plus star trek riser player.me 
just go to triples in XTC at each of those sites. And of course, you can also send us an email at hosts at triplesinxc.com or leave us a message by recording something and going to speakpipe.com forward slash triples in ecstasy or by using the little widget on any of the triples posts on halsweetmedia.com. So that's it for this week. Another short show. So until next week, take care, everyone. Goodbye. See you guys. I'm waiting. No, 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 no. Keep it recording. I want I want Timber to click on this link and I want his reaction on air. What in the blue hell? <laughs> Son, open the pod bay doors. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, while we were doing that, I actually went and looked up triple porn, and that was the only image I came up with. (laughs) (sighs) Jesus. The things I gotta put up with around here. (sighs) Good night, guys. Bye, everybody. See ya. satellite radio for our remastered shows and more you can follow us on twitter at tribbles in xtc or if you have any questions or comments please send an email to tribbles in ecstasy at gmail.com join us next week for another episode of tribbles in ecstasy the only place where tribbles and klingons are friends